week's episode of Shitty Christians. I am your host, Michael Tabor. I'm Zachary Allard. And today we are joined by Scott Benson, animator, illustrator, general video game guy, uh, co-creator and co-writer of Night in the Woods, and founding member of the Game Dev Worker Co-op, The Glory Society. Scott, welcome to Shitty Christians. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Uh, we've got a lot to cover today uh, between Scott's work making video games, uh, his past in ministry, and as we just found out, Christian ska bands, uh, and his own current quest to kill God persona style. Mm. Um, so we're going to get into all of that, and it's going to be a really good time. Uh, but first, Scott, we are in fact recording this on Inauguration Day. Uh, mm. How are you feeling now that America has healed? I'm feeling <laughs> great. I'm feeling like... Like the crying eagle, but in a good way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Scott know? actually messaged us to delay the pod because he was out at brunch. Yeah, I was. I had um, 19 mimosas, <laughs> and um, I had 15 plates of Eggs Benedict, and they just <laughs> revived me at the hospital, which took up a valuable COVID bed. So really, I'm having a great day. Um, it's great. Uh, you, you had the, the reintroduction of Freedom Fries. Um, yeah. We're bringing those back now that we're in the Biden administration. Yeah, it was great. It was, um, well, because the Biden whole pitch was about nostalgia, right? Like, we're going to wind the clock back to the Obama years. That was like oh, his yeah. entire shtick is like, I'm a guy who is going to bring back how good it felt to see Obama on TV all the time. And the kind of like liberal sense of like demographic destiny will be back and stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to have that again. No, that was the full pitch. I did think it was a little weird that he did the inauguration in the Obama mask. But yeah, that know, was a little, a little, yeah. I'm not it was sure. a bit much, but yeah. you know, optics have never been his strong suit. So it's okay. It's okay. He got a blackface card. The, 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 you can get those oh, God. <laughs> things that are easy to edit. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say it was That's okay. About two thirds of this podcast is me just cutting Zach. Uh. I'm not justifying it. <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's. Super normal in good times, uh, swearing in the hits from, you know, now this is what we call politics 2008, mm -hmm. a week after our Christian insurrection movement or a couple yeah. weeks after that. Uh, just just feeling really great about everything. Um, I'm trying to remember what pop culture was even like in 2008 or nine. Like, who Ooh, was... I can help you with this. I was in college. <laughs> and in 2008, nine, there was a lot of like indie music. There was still discussion about is rap a problem and uh, reality TV exploding. Also, also, oh geez, do not forget uh, this Last Soprano season, two thousand and eight. It was very HBO oh, okay. time. Oh shit! Okay, right. It was the HBOest of times. It was the yes. worst of times. Um, that was right. Okay, now I'm remembering because like I made this <laughs> joke when I saw like the Biden inaugural like shindig. Uh, lineup because it was like fallout boy and like lady gaga and will i am i'm like oh my god this literally is just i'm rewinding <laughs> a full decade of my life i'm in like my early 20s again or something i can't um, wait for entourage nothing like going back to the exact conditions that gave us trump just yeah uh, it's gonna be great like basically <laughs> we're just gonna it's gonna be like five okay go videos between here and <laughs> utopia um it's yeah. uh it's it's one of those uh contraptions that goes for like five minutes and then and then the right-wing riots start again like it just at the end yeah. of it the tiki torch falls and it all kicks off yeah essentially <laughs> it's gonna be like one long apple presentation except for this time it's by someone's doddering old grandfather who's like introducing the features of the oh, uh, man. of the yeah. uh of the iphone i am um i am looking forward to biden just being kind of um 
like kind of narcoleptic halfway like through most of it just kind of like because it's been a while since we've had a president who like i guess like kind of like trump was clearly kind of mentally fading but in like a really like um sort of like dangerous like wacky like technicolor way or something (laughs) where he was not fading into the good night like he was not going quietly yeah whereas (laughs) biden is like in like he's like the insure commercial president or he's (laughs) like all of those like um ads were like um it's for i don't even know what they're for necessarily but all of it is like extraordinarily active seniors having the time of their lives or something yeah (laughs) Yeah. if you turn on fox news there's like two of them every break yeah like there's the one that everyone remembers which is like two older people and they're somewhere in some sort of like pasture watching the sunset (laughs) and they're in bathtubs to like side by side bathtubs, I think they're that's sitting out and stuff, and they're kind of holding hands. And I'm like, where did you go to like the bath the bathtub fields? Yeah, I need to, I need to investigate the piping involved in this. I feel like there's some <laughs> permit issues. Yeah, I, I I don't know I don't know what's going on. I'm like, so do you hike out into the field and then strip and then get into the the twin bathtubs so that you don't touch? Like, there's something very like they're oh, like I- leaving. They're leaving room for the Holy Spirit or something. <laughs> you know what there. I realized? You know what we're doing here? You know what we're doing mm. here? We're forgetting the labor involved. They obviously have employees who set yeah. this all up before mm. them. Yeah. We are, we are, uh, we are ignoring the labor. Un- yeah, unpaid uh, bathtub interns. We are fetishizing <laughs> the commodity of the, uh, of, of, the, of the of the of the country field sunset bathtubs. I feel like if you're making a commercial. That's for like older people to go live their lives. You were not allowed to have them gazing into the sunset. Probably, <laughs> <laughs> like that's that is that's bad form right there. No. Just don't do it. Um, no, exclusively go kart and laser tags. That's the only acceptable thing. Yeah, or like standing on like in like on like a bridge in Tuscany or something or whatever. Everyone's wearing very white pants. Yeah, all it's time. all Mamma Mia. But the, yeah, every, every Just, yeah, you can show Mamma Mia. That's what yeah. you're allowed to do. You have to have ABBA in the background of it. I did appreciate, you know, Biden signed a bunch of executive orders, but my personal favorite was official nap time, uh, 3 uh-huh. to 4 p.m. across this great nation. We all just take a break. I think that's that's great. Uh, happy to see one good thing coming out of this administration. Here's the thing. Legitimately, we should do that, though. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I think that we need that. We need, we need an actual, like, siesta time, I think. Uh, Biden would never do anything that good for labor. Yeah, that's 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 also very very true. And in fact, he will tell people in 2024 if he's still running uh, to. Actually, didn't he say that he wasn't going to seek a second term? But yeah. that, but he he since walked it back explicitly, saying it would kneecap his ability to govern. Uh huh. <laughs> okay, yes, that's the thing that's going to hold back Biden's <laughs> ability to govern. I I think I think the thing that's going to kneecap him are the synthetic kneecaps. But yeah, <laughs> might be it. The um. I feel like Biden, it's funny because, like, I, I think it's understandable, and I, I get this, that people want to feel good about this. Like, they do. Mm-hmm. And, like, and yeah, that's fine. Course. I would, I would, like, I'm straight up, like, I would rather have a, a Biden in the office than, like, Trump. Like, my, my long-term goals are not Biden's long-term goals at all. But all things being equal, um, I would probably rather have this, a slightly less erratic um, idiot up there uh, fucking mm-hmm. things up. That having been said... Um, it is funny to me that in order to kind of get excited about a Biden candidacy, you basically have to disagree with Biden's assessment of himself 
and and what he's yes. going to do. Like he has actively <laughs> told people, he's like, yeah, uh, the, I don't like these uh, essentially like these uh, immigration uh, people. Uh, yeah, don't vote for me. Or like he's like he's been like aggressively anti-left, like aggressive. Other than the occasional oh, yeah. overtures to be like, well, we need to work together, and it's like basically like I need your vote, and then shut the fuck up. But um, yeah. And uh, and all this stuff like he's he's aggressively like very like pro cop during a time when having some sort of maybe some sensitivity to that issue is would be great. Um, hey hey hey, shoot him in the leg. Come yeah. On. <sighs> um, and uh, the Medicare for all thing. Um, the like he couldn't even politically use that like momentum. He couldn't even lie about it in the in the in the primaries of the campaign. Just be like. Oh yeah, I mean, I'm not going to actually pass Medicare for all, but I'll at least give it. I like, would veto it if it came across my desk. Yeah, like that's the kind of thing. Like he he is that thing. Like we're kind of making jokes about him being like extraordinarily old and losing a step, but the but uh, he does have that kind of old guy. Like I got nothing to prove. Fuck you, kind of yep. vibe to him, <laughs> um, which I think people like. I think that's like a thing. They like the fact that he's just going to tell people to shut the fuck up constantly. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, literally from the debate stage, and that was like his biggest moment was just saying "shut up, man." Like that was that was the best own we got out of him. But people did respond to it, and I, I do think it's telling that the the guy that took the crown uh, ended up being the one Democratic candidate that couldn't even pretend to give a shit about Medicare for all. Right, and it's funny because like Medicare for all has large um, you know margins of people supporting it. In theory, obviously, it kind of depends, and the. Um, and a lot of people who voted for him statistically thought that he was for Medicare for all, which Incredible. is really funny and bizarre. Like if you look at him in the primary, um, people tended to vote for him either because they were like, oh, yeah, I'm also a conservative uh, mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. you are the most conservative on <laughs> offer. And so I'm into that. Or you stood next to Obama for several years. And I feel like Obama probably endorses you, even though Obama mm. hadn't. A lot of people thought <laughs> yes. that he had. That was and incredible. then a lot of people were like, I don't like him. He's not my first, second, or third choice. But there is a person in my brain who is a moderate swing voter. And I'm voting for for who I think they'll vote for. And, oh, and Joe Biden seems like just the kind of like bland asshole that some idiot who's who's not as liberal as and progressive as me would vote for um which is what's so great about our primary system so fun you're you end up voting for who you think someone who is not you might vote for yeah despite all evidence you know as we saw like biden the choice of biden the lincoln project none of this shit brought over conservatives the mythical moderate that exists somewhere in in an imaginary like town uh, just ended up being this cudgel against so many things. And as it turns out, like, didn't really show up. It's the, the Chuck Schumer brain family of, like, <laughs> I think it's, like, the Baileys or something. Like, well, yeah, and Chuck he... Schumer said he's willing to get rid of, like, a working person to pick up two people in the suburbs. Right, just and, like, like... <laughs> I, I live in Pittsburgh, and it was funny because he was, like, every, like, blue-collar, like, you know, voter we lose in Western PA, we pick up, like, you know, one in, like, the Philly suburbs or something. Which might be true, but it's not really a sustainable plan per se <laughs> unless you just want to do this like trading back and forth thing forever which to be fair they probably do want to so yeah 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 um, galaxy brain take is you know the the interplay is all part of the process anyway right like i don't think that they know they would know what to do without that like they the, it is so much part of the ideology that to compromise is an end unto itself so because then you have done the process like it's not the results 
for people that matter it's the process you did the process well which is why so much kind of like lib fiction is about like lawyers and journalists yeah. and it, stuff you're describing wet, the west wing the process is right sacred. it doesn't matter where the process ends material conditions don't matter what matters is you did it the right way son yeah, and you've demonstrated something that is transcendent, uh, that mm. is, like, in, in doing so, you have, there, there's a thing with kind of, like, the left in the U.S. where there, there's, a, there's a learned um, helplessness and a learned, like, all of, our, all of our victories will forever only be moral victories mm -hmm. um, and stuff. And, and any sort of material victory we get is going to have to be compromised and like you know like you know immature people will call us sellouts but they just need to grow up and get a job and stuff and this is also the sorkin type yeah. thing it's like the the worst thing on earth is an ideologue who is not an ideologue about process mm. and i and the better angels of our nature as worked out on you know through the worksheet and stuff um and so, like, so that that kind of idea is that, like, yeah, it kind of doesn't matter in the end, like, how what we actually accomplish necessarily. It's how did we do the accomplishment? How did we how did we fight? And by yeah, fight, did we I sink mean, honorably on this ship. Yeah, kind of that that kind of thing, that kind of like learned helplessness kind of kind of thing, which is really really um, useful for capital. Yeah, yeah, because well, because. It, it keeps the money flowing. It's like, not only are you learned helpless, you know, have that embody that learned helplessness, but then you still get all that sweet lobbyist money. Oh yeah. The, one of the big things for me over the past few years is I've gotten really into American left history um, stuff, um, particularly like communist and like worker organizing and mm. like the IWW, like, like radical, like left organizing stuff in the U S um, uh, pre sixties mostly because mm -hmm. like, some of the only left organizing we hear about growing up um, is like, oh, the 60s and the civil rights movement. And then there were hippies who protested <laughs> Vietnam. Yeah. And then it, then everyone just listened to NPR for for a bunch of years uh, <laughs> or something and like started uh, ethical uh, shoe companies and, and th <laughs> things of that sort. And like uh, part, uh, occasion, uh, you know, occasionally protested nuclear power or something. But like and then we elected Obama, uh, Clinton and then Obama and everything was fine. But the. Um, but, like, researching that and, like, being, like, yeah, the funny thing about it is that, like, all these material victories were obviously, like, purchased by, like, lots of blood. Like, so much. There is so much goddamn murder in the, in the history of the U.S. left. Like, not even, like, I mean, occasionally going both ways, but just, like... I was talking to a coworker about this, and um, who who wasn't as uh, as kind of up on on kind of the history of some of the U.S. left, and uh, we were talking about it because they were curious, and I was like, "Yeah, blah blah," and I was like mentioning this, and then like I kept I started listing up. I'm like, "Yeah, they died, they got deported, they got murdered, they got <laughs> murdered. The cops killed that guy. That person got deported. That person was blacklisted and then died in poverty." And it's just like, "Oh right, like we're kind of told that." The story of the left in the U.S. is that they there was a bunch of people rabble rousing, and then uh, everyone got together and made the most sensible, like decision to pick a really idealized version of capital with slowly progressing social, like mores, and that yeah. was it. We all just decided, due to our good American sense, as opposed to no, they just straight up imprisoned and murdered everyone. But, like just on the regular one of our early episodes was on the haymarket affair and yeah, yeah. It, it is very eye-opening uh 
just how much it's just like no so like yeah they they struck so we killed him and then they had a protest of us killing him so we killed him some more yep and like the only thing that's really changed is they've gotten better at finding people to blame for the murder <laughs> like right instead of just being like no it was the pinkertons duh like we don't care <laughs> yeah and like so like when i talk about like learned helplessness i don't i don't even just mean in the sense of like everyone's a wuss it's just like they literally murdered the vast majority or, or or in some way materially disadvantaged anyone who was more radical and mm-hmm. stuff and yeah. so after a while everyone was like well that's obviously not gonna work so i'm gonna you know it's like it it worked it was like you know at least in the sense of like suppressing mass movements i mean it turns out actually if you have all the capital and all the cops um you can do a pretty decent job of suppressing things turns out indeed as it turns <laughs> yeah. out see also everything the cia has done in the global south yeah yeah that this, kind of uh, thing how does every <laughs> yeah. conversation end with my new year sort of declaration that there is no hope and nothing will change yeah. <laughs> it's funny Was that your... every conversation ends that way i'm a i'm i'm like extraordinarily resistant to doom pilling um Oh yeah, and, good. That's just We're personal. happy to have you. You do you. <laughs> um, oh yeah, no. Um, but it but it is funny. Like there are definitely times when I'm like, I don't know. There's something about like connecting with that history, that long history of atrocity, that has somehow made me more of an optimist about it. <laughs> um, just in the sense of like seeing us as like, oh, we're part of a long continuum of yeah, yeah. Uh, continuum of um, of this, which doesn't make it great that that all happened. But there's kind of like a connection to this larger struggle and seeing that like oh okay right well everyone in the past who like the the world has essentially ended for the left a zillion times Mm -hmm, ever mm -hmm. and whenever i look back in the past the times that where i'm like saddest it's it's like oh yeah like every time I i would look back at like this horrible thing i would always find the people who stuck and like kept and kept going yeah and all this when everyone else essentially went home um and I was always, like, really, really, like, thankful for those people because it's like, the oh, yeah, those are the people who were still there. Those are the people who were bringing this forward and 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 stuff. And so, like, that kind of eliminates a lot of, like, doom in my brain because it just stops being an option. It's like the, like, mm. it's like, the, yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess, like, everything could just keep getting worse. But, like, the work is the same regardless. So... Mm-hmm. Um, the process, I mean, the process and what we're doing obviously changes with our circumstances and whatever, but it's like, it's not like if I found out that things were really bad, I'd just stop yeah, yeah. <laughs> or anything. So, no, I, um, I, I think uh, reading up on the history of these movements, uh, reading some, some theory, like these are things that can like really help inoculate you against the sort of you know terminally online leftism that we all just kind of have to exist in right now like there there is work to be done in person but you know that's also a big part of how we connect and find other people and it it is i think very helpful to like step outside of that and right uh, um this is like one of the reasons why like on on twitter for like the past year i've been posting all these like one of the things i've gotten really into is looking at particularly like cartoonists and like like um, for lack of better words, like leftists with a sense of humor from a hundred years ago, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because they were hilarious. If you go back and read the masses, or like the early, at least the early parts of the new masses, which were like socialist magazines in like the teens and the twenties, they're fucking hilarious. They are oh. so funny and so biting, and so like irreverent, and they're great. And it's funny just reading. Like I keep telling people. Because there's a lot of people who follow me who are kind of new to the left. 
and uh and stuff so like um a lot of times when i post things it's it's, that's new information to a lot of people which is understandable because all this stuff is essentially repressed um and um there's so many things where like i'm like oh yeah i'm posting an editorial cartoon that's still really funny and looks like it could have been a shit post yesterday (laughs) like literally just oh my god i literally would have made that joke the art would look different but it would be the same joke. Like there would be more you know, cat people, but it would still. There would be more cat people and something like. But otherwise, it's the same thing. And like, so there's kind of like one of the things that is encouraging to me is the fact of like, oh yeah, all these problems that we have with this. These were known issues back then. Like, yeah. we didn't all just make this up. Like, you're not going crazy. <laughs> there's mm, an actual yeah. problem here. So. Yeah. Okay. Well. Uh, we have done a great job of getting to none of my notes yet, so oh, I'm really yeah. happy. <laughs> no, we're doing great. No, I'm, I'm really happy that we got that uh, up front. So now that we've uh, discussed the problems of global capitalism, which definitely won't come up <laughs> later in discussions of your work, no. uh, let's talk about Ska. Mm-hmm. Um, so Scott, you, let me see if I understand this correctly. You grew up in the church? Uh, yeah, I grew up... Um... I've kind of throughout my life had kind of like just the Protestant tour, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I, I grew sorry. up like so, I grew up like Southern Baptist. I was from uh, we're from I was from like a small town in Texas originally, but then we moved to like Ohio and then Central California and then finally North Jersey. And a lot of that was Baptist churches. Um, then occasional kind of non-denominational sort of church, evangelically whatever churches, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of Baptist churches, a lot of different flavors of Baptist churches because obviously. That's 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 a whole spectrum of yeah. That's stuff. troubling though, because not a lot of those flavors are any good. No, no. I, I it's would, like I the would off-brand say, Mountain Dew flavors. It's just not not going to be what you want, man. I would probably not recommend if someone was like Scott, recommend me a kind of church to go to. <laughs> Baptist would probably Southern Baptist would probably not be my first pick. Yeah. I would probably say go to some emergent church shit called the Thrive Zone or something <laughs> and hang out with people and talk about Apple products or something. Have fun or whatever. Yeah, I would probably not I would probably not send them to yeah, like Cedar Grove Southern Baptist or whatever. Mountaintop. Uh, so yeah, t- tell me about those flavors. Tell me about like what was your experience? <laughs> Were you sort of in it? Were you already sort of cued into the idea that like eh, this isn't really working for me like what what was that like tell me some stories oh okay well um yeah i mean as anyone i think who grows up in this and has like an adult life in this like the stories are just kind of like endless but like i i definitely grew up like very like precocious and when it came to all things god related like mm-hmm. i was really really into it as a kid like really very into it and like i was definitely that kid that everyone jokes about being, but I actually was that like annoying kid with all the annoying questions for the th- for the Sunday school teacher or whatever. Who was Aww. like early on, I was like, but the idea of, of eternity sounds really claustrophobic, or something, <laughs> and like so we're just gonna live forever doing this, and that sounds horrible and all that, which is like I think a, a pretty common thing to think. Sure, when yeah. You, when you're a kid, I don't even know how to play the harp. What are we doing here? Yeah, or that kind of thing of like, oh, the the idea of something without an end is. Um, sounds like gigantic and 
uh, almost liberating, but it's also kind of claustrophobic. It's like, do you want to live forever doing the same thing <laughs> in the same place? And the answer was always like, oh, well, our knowledge will be complete and our like our sin nature that makes you not want to go do the same thing forever will be gone mm-hmm. uh, and and all these kind of things. But like, but I, I was really, really into that and reading books of like theology at like a really young age and like I read like the Bible cover to cover a whole bunch of times because like I definitely was that kid who thought that that meant that I knew more about something or mm. another. So definitely have a lot of Bible trivia knowledge that I do not get to use in my <laughs> life at all now, which sucks. Um, I was very morbid as a kid and kind of like, just cause I was, had been around like some deaths and, and all mm-hmm. that. So like, it was like very real and present the idea of like, Oh, you're here. And then you're like not here anymore. And you're in a different form in a different place suddenly and all these different stuff. And, like, my parents were really into, like, evangelical culture. This is the late 80s, early 90s. And so, like, a lot of, like, contemporary Christian music was, like, all I was, like, allowed to listen to. <laughs> yes. So, like, I could talk some Carmen or some oh, man. Wow. GC Talk okay. or some... Uh, all this, you know, all the, all that, all, all the classics. I'm gonna, so I'm, I'm gonna do a little call out here because we were in Kevin Max's DMs. Of shit, talk we're, fame. We're, we're mutuals. Holy with Kevin. shit! Ask and him why said, Michael Tate supports uh, Ted Cruz. I know, I know. Well, it's such a funny thing because they they really went three different different directions. Michael Tate went the full on Trumper route. Uh, uh, Kevin is sort of like vaguely hippie leftist ex evangelical. Like he's yeah, on. Yeah, he 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 hung out with Bono. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Sorry, Kevin, if you're listening to this because you're in the DMs. That's that's just my take. No, no, it's uh, it was good. And he said Wait. he'd come on. He said he would Wait, come is, on. Is, and then he, is, is he a listener? Us. Is he a listener? I don't think he's ever listened. I okay. we I literally like yelled at him on Twitter to come on. He was like, yeah, sure. And then we were chatting, and uh, so far it just hasn't happened. But Kevin, listen, I will always love you, baby. DC Talk was my first album that I ever bought. Welcome was to it the, the Freak first Show one? on cassette. Oh, welcome to the Freak Show. Sweet. Yeah, I was yeah. a little bit younger, so that's where I came in. But like, uh-huh. still old enough to buy it on cassette. Uh, first concert was Jars of Clay, DC Talk. Wow. Delirious and Burlap. Delirio Five. Wow. Yes. Yeah. And uh, God, I know all these bands. Why the (laughs) hell do I know all these bands still? Uh Anyway. Look forward to uh, Scott's next game. Weird uh, Bible trivia. (laughs) Yeah, I could do it. Could do it. Um, uh, but anyways, Kevin, uh, come on the pod. Back to you, Scott. So- uh, yeah, I don't know. As soon as you said like Kevin, and I made that joke about Bono, I for some reason got immediately paranoid that Kevin Max was going to listen to this, <laughs> and I for some reason I mean, was might. like, but was like, oh no, I want that guy to think I'm cool for some reason. Like I immediately w- was like, well, I don't want him mad at me. <laughs> I don't know why. Apparently, somewhere in my brain is like, well, Scott, you don't want the DC talk guys mad. At you. <laughs> definitely, um, definitely not Kevin. I'm okay if Michael's mad at me at this uh, point. Yeah, Michael has Michael's made some decisions that are that are strange uh, <laughs> and all that. Toby seems fine. I don't know. He's uh, the, he's the most apolitical. He's the most good time uh, Sally out of all of them. Like he's just he's just here to make vaguely Christian party music. And, yeah, uh, and like have like have like albums that are called like diversity, but it's like diverse city yeah so it's like a city yes. but it's diverse <laughs> or something like he's definitely the guy who would like release who would release songs where he's like yeah release the peace or something like that <laughs> he, is, he is like the most coney 2012 motherfucker kind of <laughs> yeah, guy yeah. Uh, yeah. He was the original get, get for the uh, Kendall Jenner Diet Coke commercial, but then yes, he got sick. They exactly. Had to yeah, he's gonna. He was gonna sing Extreme Days at them. Um, 
we oh i've seen extreme, extreme days okay oh, so <laughs> have i oh my god so much so much extreme sports and the lord me me and Kelsey Lair, who has been on this podcast several times, sat and watched Extreme Days because I hadn't watched it when I was like 27. <laughs> oh, oh wow, you God. watched it as an adult. I saw Toby yes. Mac perform that in an em- in a field in the like hills of North Carolina. They did like a three day Christian music festival and saw Toby Mac circa the Extreme Days era. We're living, we're living in Extreme Days. Uh, yeah, um, <laughs> God. Um, I saw Toby Mac play that at Creation <laughs> Fest. Like, are you familiar with Creation? I'm um, actually not. Oh shit! This podcast <laughs> gonna be, is going to be nine hours long. So the um, I saw I saw that your longest episode was like two hours, and I was like, all right, well, we're going to be cracking that. So um, the <laughs> Creation Fest is, I think, might be the first or one of the first big kind of like multi-day outdoor Christian festivals, and. Um, it was uh, takes place actually near where I live now um, in uh, central in Western PA and um, kind of on this farm called Agape Farm. This of was course. started. This is started by like Jesus people <laughs> movement. People. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hence, yeah. hence. Oh, yeah. Okay. So like Larry Norman was there at mm, first, and totally. like Phil Kagi and all these other people that you that you'd imagine were there. And um, so that was like when I was a, a kid uh, growing up in North Jersey. That was like, oh, you went with a church group to Creation Fest because it was like a six hour or five hour drive away or something like that, maybe. And then you go and camp out there, and if you're me, get like sun poisoning and yep. stuff and uh flirt with other girls in supertones t-shirts and um yes. and stuff um so i went from like 99 <laughs> through like 2000 or 2001 maybe something like that which is like mid high school to just after high school and mm-hmm. um the only time i've seen dc talk play was this was after they had kind of gone their separate ways and like tate was a thing and mm, k max yeah. solo era thing yeah, and then like they came back and they played. They each did their own little sets, and the uh, and then they played a bunch of DC Talk songs or mm-hmm. whatever. And uh, it definitely had like I don't know what the I don't know the backstory of DC Talk at all, so I could just be reading into this. It definitely had a this is a show that is squashing some beef between us. Oh, type of, type of type of thing. Like I like I think uh, Toby at one point was on. And K Max, if you come on, please correct me. But <laughs> yeah. the um, um, was said something like, "Yeah, like you know, it's been a while. Maybe people we we said some things that like shouldn't have been said to each other or something. But you know, it's good to be back or something like that. There was oh, wow. some sort of thing of the like, oh, this is like a reunion of sorts uh, and uh, all that. And uh, so that was the one time I saw, it, and I did indeed see him play Extreme Days. Good, so, good. Yeah, I, the, that rolls. The, the moment of completion arrived in that moment. You were yeah. able to close the door on the, the days of extremity. <laughs> yeah. Those were, in fact, I mean, he had a point. They were extreme <laughs> <Yes>. days. <laughs> Prophetic, as it turns out. Who knew? Yeah. At the end of the day, he was he had the gift of prophecy, and they were, in fact, extreme days. So, <laughs> so you were in it. Like, uh, you know, a lot of the people we talked to sort of grew up in the church, but they're maybe a little bit more like, eh, I don't know, this seems kind of bullshit. But, like... This is, you're maybe the first guest we've talked to that was as deep in the, like, evangelical rabbit hole as our, our experiences grow. Oh, up. yeah. No, I was about as deep as you could possibly get, in, in part because I was interested. My dad was an SBC pastor, but please continue. <laughs> oh, okay. Right. So, all right. So, oh, you're a PK then. Yeah. <laughs> um, Sorry. Sweet. Did you, did you, did you have the, the PK trajectory of being, like, the problem child? You know, I really wasn't, but now I'm a communist, so maybe I became one just later as an adult. <laughs> yeah. Oh, shit, yeah. 
Nice. Just a late bloomer. Like, am I, am I, yeah. I, I was always just like kind of a tight, like typical oldest, very straight laced, straight A student, really boring and lame. And mm-hmm. then I realized everything sucks. And so maybe right. maybe it was just like Michael said, just delayed into my early 30s. Uh-huh. That's when you realize that these were, in fact, extreme days. <laughs> That's about it. These are extreme days, Karl Marx. Um, yeah. Yes. But no, yeah, I was in it in part because of, like, nurture. Like, I only went to Christian schools for the most part. Like, And, like, oh, wow. people here, like, oh, actually, I don't have to explain this to you because a lot of times people are like, oh, private school, oh. And I'm like, no, I mean, private school, like, there were 12 of us in the basement of a Baptist church. Private that school. was yeah. more like, my vibe. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like that kind of thing. Like, there were literally eight kids in my graduating class of eight grade like Jeez. kind of thing and we moved around all the time because my dad's job and so like I never had friends for more than like two years or something so I was just hopping and each of these places had slightly different variants of Christianity that they were very very into mm-hmm. and this was also during like satanic panic new age era like Frank Peretti novel shit and oh um, yeah I read some Frank Peretti yeah this was some I, I was basically the the outlook of my education was this present darkness or piercing the darkness Whoa. or those yeah, yeah, things yeah. like <laughs> that kind of thing like the that and the moral majority like very reagan you know anti-abortion totally kind of christian type of like the the carmen song god in america again that that kind of <laughs> shit um i mean yeah you saw the q anon riot last week you know what i'm yeah, talking yeah, about yeah, so yeah. like uh, that um extreme days <laughs> extreme days yeah i would i would say that the q anon that's pretty extreme yeah just a, uh, just a bit just a they're bit. they're going through some extreme days right now so yeah, yeah there's there's a bit of cope going on they're 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 having some Millerite great disappointment shit right now, and I'm I'm like because okay, so you both come from this kind of thing, so you probably obviously I'm going to assume know or have an idea of at least someone that you have met or you're related to who might be open to Q. Yes. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's that kind of thing that I have a hard time explaining to people where you're like. I don't sympathize with them in the sense that I think that it's, this is good and therefore everything is like, oh, yeah, I don't, like, make fun of them. Because it's like, no, this is, like, a incipient, like, fascist, Christian, white nationalist bullshit. Like, it's bad and stuff. But on the other hand, I also know the people that this that this comes out of. So, like, I'm I'm aware of the fact that it, it there are reasons why this happens. Yeah, there are ideological projects that have been extant for a lot longer than Q that help sort of set the groundwork for what this is. Right. Um, I I feel like a lot of times people think that when you say that, you're like letting them off the hook or something. And it's like, no, fuck these people. They're idiots. On the other hand, like I understand like how I understand how someone gets into this via American Christianity or just American general spirituality vacuum marketplace thing, you know? And I think it's also really important if we want to examine solutions how do you get somebody out of something like this which is a big question deprogramming mm-hmm. is a hell of a thing but you yeah. can't answer that question without also being willing to take that step back and looking at american evangelical culture and you you have to deal with the source material that this sprung out of as it, rather than just being like look at this crazy motherfucker in, in a q subreddit we talked about this a lot on the podcast but sort of the tldr in my opinion is like i am totally sympathetic to the sense that like these are extreme days and contemporary Mm -hmm. (laughs) America makes you crazy. You know, the example that I can't stop thinking about is like George W. Bush for a decade was considered correctly. So this awful neo-fascist guy who killed a million people. And now 
they're being like, no, he's one of us. He's a member of the resistance. And Michelle right. Obama's going to hug him. Like, that makes uh-huh. you fucking crazy. Ab- absolutely, yeah. yeah. And I think, like, for me and a lot of other people, that drove that drove us to the left. Yes. But mm-hmm. what drove us to the left was the insanity of all of this and, the, and, the, and our material conditions and all this stuff. And, like, what people don't understand is that that, that, um, that kind of radicalization, like, that isn't... That isn't preordained that you're going to go left from that. Mm-hmm. Like, that mm-hmm. kind of thing where it's like, I grew up in an extremely reactionary environment with an extremely reactionary ideology and eventually end up swerving left, which I guess we can get to in a second. But the, um, but that was not like, you know, sorry, Calvin, that was not preordained. Uh, and, um, <laughs> Don't and, you ever apologize to Calvin on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, John Piper. But the... Um, <laughs> But that kind of thing. So it's like, yeah, I could, like, I totally look at this and I'm like, I, t- I could have gone another way. And it's like, yeah, because white supremacy and white nationalism is set up specifically to benefit me, to yeah. benefit people like mm-hmm. me. And, like, when you're scared and when everything sucks or when you actually have some privilege and you're afraid of losing it because you've seen what everyone else is like mm-hmm. and what their lives are like, uh, a lot of people are going to get real self-interested and scared real quick. And that's not a credit to them, but it's something that happens, unfortunately. And yeah. so it's like, yeah, if you're going to deal with it, you're going to have to deal with it beyond just going, ew, these people suck. And it's like, yeah, you're right. They, they still exist. So I don't know what you're planning on doing about they it. They exist and they have a lot of guns. So we're going to need to talk about this. <laughs> Probably at some point. Maybe not you personally, but someone will have to eventually talk to them. Um, so, yeah. So, Scott, before we get to you sort of like moving out of this phase of your life, you were also in ministry for a while, right? Right. So, like, I kind of like, so like I said, I I was in these Christian schools and in the church, and I was really, I had a lot of experiences that were, I I would say, were kind of like Holy Spirit type of experiences. I was definitely that kid who was like, in fifth grade, I was like witnessing to other kids that I didn't know Mm -hmm. and stuff. Mm -hmm. I was very like young evangelist type of guy because you know you imbibe so much media and stories when you're that age in the church yeah. and in that kind of culture about like oh this is like and then you did that and then the the, the kid actually died in a bus accident on the way home <laughs> yeah, and yeah, you yeah. knew that you know you had done your part and also because we were white evangelicals in the u.s the safest people on earth we learned <laughs> all about martyrdom and yes, constantly um, I would die tonight for my beliefs, et cetera. And mm-hmm. um, no one will ever ask anyone in America to do that pretty much. But the, um, what, at least like white evangelicals. But yeah, uh, yeah, they literally had to fictionalize the Columbine shooting just to pull one out. Just right. To, just so they yeah. could pretend for a second. Michael W. Smith got a hit single out of it too. But, <laughs> yeah. um, I hope he stares at that record on his wall and feels a little bit of shame. I know he doesn't, but I hope. Here's yeah. the thing. He does stare at the record and he feels nothing but joy. That's what's yeah. so fucked up, Michael. I... A year or two after Columbine, one of the bands I was in, the Christian (laughs) events we did, the speaker was a kid who was a a Christian kid who was in the Columbine shooting. And she was snapped up by some ministry that brought her around to kind of give inspirational talks to like high schoolers and stuff. And also soon after the shooting, like a couple of years, I know it would have been 2000. So like not long after that, summer 2000, um, I stayed... Uh, the trumpet player from Five Iron Frenzy, Brad, uh, his mom was called Ska Mom, colloquially, because she helped out a bunch of bands on the road. Like, she'd, like, give you a place to stay. Oh, like, that's so cute. She, the sweetest woman. Oh. And actually, uh, all the all the Five Iron people I've ever met are, like, the nicest people on Earth. Yeah. So 
This is a this is a five. They also came out with an album this week, which we were talking about beforehand. This is a five <laughs> iron positivity zone for whatever else we say tonight. But that's the, right. Uh, that's right. And uh, Columbine was like a block away or something. And so, like, it, it was just weird how, like, there was this obsession with it in evangelical culture at the time. Yeah. And we, uh, that year, I just kept running into people or locations involved with it. It was bizarre. Hmm. Um, so I was, um, so anyway, so yeah, I, I was, um, I was involved in, like, I mean, the, the school I went to, like, would bus us to, like, the March for Life and stuff. They would take us to the Holocaust mm-hmm. Museum first. And then when we were all good and upset... Ugh. Drive us across the National Mall no. or whatever, and put put uh, placards in our hands, and basically then take pictures of like how you know much, much of the youth want to get rid of abortion and stuff. I was wow. in rock, I was in Rock for Life, um, and stuff, which is uh, if you're not familiar, and, and uh, a hip uh, late '90s anti-abortion type thing that would like have like cool tooth and nail bands play and stuff. Oh my um, god. So, but I was, um, I was really, you know, I was really, really into it. I was like a very strong believer and like a pretty conservative guy just because I had been brought up in that. And then, totally. Um, but I was also like queer at the same time in a way that was like really self-loathing. I don't know, stop me if anyone's heard this one before and, um, <laughs> and all that. Uh, and like had super crushes on like friends and all that. And was also like really sexually active as a teen, which if you also were in that culture at the time, know that literally all you talk about in any sort of men's group ever is like sex and jerking off, (laughs) basically. What was that pornography you were looking at? Thank you for validating our experience. That is is one of our recurring themes. Every man's struggle, but... um, Hey, look, I just also want to say I was not sexually active as a teen or in high school, but only because no one wanted to hang out with me. <laughs> it's a podcast. You can lie about it. No one knows. No one's going to check it out. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I, was, I was oddly very sexually active. And now this just sounds like a brag. Jeez. This, 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 was, this was part of my, like, dysfunctional shame story. Scott, but now Scott it's... comes on to brag about getting laid in high school. All of, uh, no, but here's the thing, though. Like, to, to, uh, let me, uh, to put a darker spin on it, like, all of the girlfriends I had in, in, in high school were all, like, over the age of, like, 18 and stuff, which is, you know, illegal. And yeah. I thought at the time that that meant I was very cool yeah. and mm-hmm. very emotionally mature. And now I'm like, what the hell was going on with these women? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I'm going to get with a 15-year-old. That sounds cool. Um, and all that. So, like, all that was going on. And so, like, and I was involved in the punk scene um and which was kind of like my my zone like i think like a lot of like nerdy kind of artsy or whatever kids either go into like you kind of get funneled into a few things i feel like if i had come of age like 10 years later i just would have been one of those like nerd culture people mm, or whatever yeah. like you so been honestly at the chris show yeah like yeah thank 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 the lord but the um <laughs> but the, the the punk scene was there for me instead because i didn't get good yeah. enough grades to hang out with the nerds so like um because i was terrible in school and i joke that like the two things that were the biggest influence in like the first you know 25 years of my life was like jesus and like the punk scene and i still believe in the punk scene a little bit so yeah um, yeah yeah <laughs> that, that was the one that kind of stuck around but like um and so for that reason, I wanted to be in bands and I started, I was listening to like Christian punk bands and Christian ska bands from around the time. This is the late nineties. And so I was like, ah, oh, I want to be in bands. I, I'm going to be like in music ministry type of thing. Like Love I'm going to be, yeah. we're going to be in a Christian band touring and you know, we're going to open for MXPX or something. Um, Still and, doesn't uh, sound like the worst life. <laughs> 
No, it just uh, <laughs> it sounds fine. Um, and so, like, I didn't go to college. Like, no one in my family had gone to college, and, like, no one knew much about getting into college. Mm-hmm. And just going into a whole lot of debt sounded like a bad idea to me at age, like, 17. And Ugh, honestly... I'm jealous. <laughs> yeah. So I never went to college, in part just because it wasn't, like, much of an option, but also mm-hmm. I didn't pursue it too much. Yeah. And like I said, no, like, my parents didn't know anything about getting us into college or anything either. So it was just like, all right. But... um. But instead, like when I was like 18, I just moved out and joined a ska band. And I had been in a ska band in high school, a Christian ska band, doing the thing where like, you know, you have to stop three quarters through the set and tell everyone on stage that you're a Christian band. Oh, um, man. Okay. And, All right. And, I really appreciate the dedication. You were not trying to do this cool. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Uh, not well, not at all. And like, we definitely had some thoughts about bands that were like, we're not Christian bands. We're Christians in a band. And we're like, what what a cop out kind of kind of kind of deal. But like, yeah, it was honestly like um, after that though, I was in bands for like a couple. I was in so my my second ska band. I like toured around with a whole bunch. No one's ever heard of it, and I will not re- reveal it here. Um, but. I will say that we're thanked on the on the Five Iron Frenzy all the hype album. Damn, that, okay. that's, that's my that's my my Christian ska claim to fame. That's is, that's pretty is, good. That's pretty um, good. You know ska mom. That's that's not nothing. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> um, just wonderful, sweet woman. But the um, so uh, ska mom, if you're listening to this, along with K Max. Yeah. Um, I just want to let you know I love you. So. Um, <laughs> Thank you for letting us sleep in your basement and wash your dog. Um, so Aww, that's so um, fucking cute. The nicest people. Um, and like it was great when we showed up to Ska Mom's house. Um, Brad from Five Iron and someone else from Five Iron was there, and they like were listening to like like his mom was like making us like sandwiches and listening to the Get Up Kids. It was God like damn, the fucking so coolest good. house ever. It was awesome. That's anyway, so fucking wholesome. It was I'm so, so good. Absolutely. Well, because like. I heard it in in the background, and like um, the Get Up Kids, like the lead singer's voice is kind of like a little higher, mm-hmm. and I thought it was the Muffs at first, and I, I was like, I was like, is this the Muffs? And I think, I think Brad's mom was like, oh no, this is the Get Up Kids, but I understand why you'd think it was the Muffs, and I was like, this is the coolest woman who has ever lived. <laughs> Jeez, um, that's so good and oh. stuff, especially coming from like really conservative like square background. I was like. Moms can be like this. <laughs> this is like new innovations in mom technology. Oh, this that's is incredible! But yeah, like it was like during that time, um, I there was like a pregnancy scare with a girl I was dating, and g- given just the extraordinarily extraordinary amount of shame involved in that, like yeah. you, mm-hmm. you're you either go kind of crazy with that, which a lot of dudes do, and mm-hmm. like it's just this really harmful, bad thing. Or they start recognizing, oh, a lot of like my ideals about this are maybe um, really legalistic to use a word you only use if you're a Christian, um, and uh, <laughs> and and stuff, and like, um, and it just felt bad and broken and stuff, and especially like in bands, we were doing a lot of like ministry stuff where like, we go and like do like whole weekends where we were like playing and like also teaching and stuff. Too. Oh wow! So yeah. like, I was suddenly doing like ministry, ministry stuff, and just running around and meeting people and talking to people and stuff. And also having been friends with just a lot of like queer punks and stuff. Um, I, I lost, I, I def, I swerved like super far to the left. Um, especially after like nine 11 happened, which happened when I was still hanging out in North Jersey. So it was like right over the river. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, like someone I knew from like people I knew from high school died in that and stuff. And so Ooh. like, it was, 
definitely like it was it was like not in my neighborhood obviously i was like 20 minutes outside of new york but it was close enough that it was the thing and yeah, yeah. watching my family and the church that i was going through all just turned into the most raving bloodthirsty people immediately afterwards um that oh, yeah. plus exposure to just other people and like kind of like my own foibles and everything really changed my faith into one that was a lot more kind of grace focused <laughs> and uh <laughs> and politically, I was reading. I started reading like you know Christian anarchism and like Jacques Ellul and stuff. Mm, okay, uh, and and that and that was kind of like my my like flip to being cool, grace focused, progressive. Uh, I'm listening to Jay Baker talk at Revolution Church guy mm, uh, mm-hmm. and stuff, which again compared to growing up conservative evangelical, it world's better. Yeah. Um, but. Um, and then I was like, yeah, then I was in like a third band. Uh, we were called the Vickers. People can look that up if they want. Um, Very on brand name. Love it. Love it. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. Uh, <laughs> and we were like pretty like, pre- like we wrote songs like anti-war songs, anti-Iraq war songs and all this stuff. Like we were, I was definitely very firmly kind of Christian leftists. And then I moved to Pittsburgh and uh, after I got married to my wife and uh, we, uh, we were involved in a uh, ministry. This is the most like n- like two thousands thing you can imagine, and, and like and I mean that in like a good way. Like everyone was really sincere about it, but it was like yeah. we were all we were the Christians who like swore and had tattoos and stuff, and like we were in the basement of a tattoo shop. And, hey, hey man, uh, we don't appreciate the call outs here. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! I realized that some of this, and I apologize for this. Some of this is going to be some some like ghost of Christmas yet to come shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> But um, anyway, um, but uh, yeah, uh, I'm I am definitely the like uh, as, as as you are, I once was guy, I guess. But yeah, I mean, the, don't worry, um, we would never go to church. Yeah, so. okay, well there you go. <laughs> uh, well, this wasn't a church though, because Christianity was not a religion. Okay, it was a relationship. That's right, um, baby. But um, the um, and we were not a church; we were a ministry, um, and we were cool and had skull tattoos and all that. <laughs> and it was like a, a ministry that met like on Monday night, but it was also like kind of just doing kind of fellowshipy stuff. It was sort of um, tied. It was kind of under the general umbrella of a larger church in Pittsburgh called Hot Metal, which is the name of a bridge. It's not like Hot Metal or something <laughs> like that. Um, and the guys who owned the shop and like granted were in this Christian punk band called The Last Hope. These are great band names, by the way. And yep, um, yep. the Vickers had played with The Last Hope a whole bunch. It's how we knew them. And so we ended up moving to the south side of Pittsburgh back before it got super gentrified and where it was just a bunch of punks living there for a long time. Mm. And we just rolled around with these punk uh, kids and adults for like five or six years in like the aughts. And we were in this ministry and like we just dealt with people who were on the street or who are addicts or who didn't feel comfortable in church and stuff. And I ended up being someone who did a lot of speaking there and ended up being someone that people confided in a lot. And that put me in a position of having to answer people's questions a lot. Mm. Um, and yeah, I mean, and not just like Scott, like here, here, let me riddle, riddle me this about the Bible or something. It was like, uh, Scott, I relapsed on crack last week and I lost my kids. Where is God? Yeah. Kind of stuff. It was that kind of stuff. I'm 26 and have no experience with crack <laughs> or children. And I'm like, but, but, but it is something where it's like, oh, um, someone's got to go like bills on the Birmingham bridge and threatening to jump. Someone has to go call him and mm, stuff. And yeah, so like yeah. that, it was that kind of thing. And, yeah. um, very unlicensed, very untrained people trying to do the best we could and like love people and minister to them and 
all that kind of stuff. And I think when I was in that last band in like the early 2000s, the, um, I, I had had a lot of interactions with kind of like the charismatic traditions. Mm. Um, so a lot of like, I've seen a lot of speaking in tongues and people getting slain in the spirit and demons cast out and all that stuff. That was never like my jam, but I definitely <laughs> was around it a lot. And Frank Peretti come to life. Yeah, but like once, like a lot of times with that, like it isn't just like like a lot of the cliches about those kind of people is like it's like upper middle class like fascist like types, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But like a lot of it is just people. It's the same reason people get into Q. It's the yeah. same or or same reason that some people get into Q, which is that they're desperate and life doesn't make sense and um, all that. And it's not like that's like the base of Q or anything. But a lot of people get into this kind of stuff because. Uh, my daughter is on drugs and she left and this pr and I've heard that this supernatural thing will make my daughter come back mm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. It's the reason why like televangelists can be like, give me your seed donation or yeah. whatever. And it's your last dollar, but I'm going to pray for your son to come back. That kind of thing. Like there, there's a, there's an extreme amount of real human desperation and need. And so they turn to these kinds of kinds of things and there's always a buck to be made in it. And, um, so, like, I had seen that kind of up close, and people, really sincere, wonderful people, struggling with shit like they lived in a place where there were no jobs, essentially. I mean, like, it's like, yeah, they were, they lived, they were coal miners, and then now the mine shut down, and there's nothing to sustain this town anymore. Yeah. And they're trying to make sense of it. And this particular kind of very charismatic Christianity promised this kind of catharsis and drama that was related to it, and in this hope that... Yeah. You know, you when you get to a, a point where things are so bad, you start believing. You're you're a lot more inclined to believe that something absolutely miraculous and impossible could happen to fix it because nothing else seems like it would work. You know. Um, yeah. And, but enough about leftism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, um, not trying to derail your point. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. But like. Um, so I think, but it, in that time, I had seen people because they were so reliant on these kind of like signs and wonders and dreams and stuff, you end up kind of navigating by like omens mm. and like dreams and feelings and vibes and oh, this happened, which means this happened. There ends up being this like, the world ends up being this big yarn chart, this uh, Charlie from It's Always Sunny uh, yeah, chart yeah, yeah. of like... Oh, I lit, lit, like... I was there immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, of course. You know, it's the yarn chart. Yeah. The yarn chart. It's either that or like that second to last episode of True Detective or something. But like the But those are that's the same character. No, Zach Zach was on it because he's looking at his yarn chart right now. Nice. <laughs> Char Sweet. Look, Char Charlie. Charlie, uh -huh. the middle years where you don't see McConaughey, he's just Charlie from It's yeah, Always yeah. Sunny. There, there you go. Um but uh but anyway so yeah like uh, so i'd seen that and like just again i'm not even mocking these people it's just like that was what was available and sure. i um, yeah that's and like it, there. yeah and like it's not like more buttoned up christian like kind of denominations don't have that it's just kind of like tends to be hooked into some other stuff or a lot of times there's a level of comfort so it becomes something like a joel osteen thing of like i you need to justify why you're doing well or something it's like mm. you're living your best life ever and now i'm just kind of self-help for teaching you how to be upper middle class and not feel guilty about it or to make it make mm -hmm. sense theologically yeah and uh um, to just jump in briefly i i please. was also in ministry uh at one point as a 19 year old with no fucking idea what i was doing nice in, so uh, <laughs> so good in an unincorporated area in california sort of out in the desert 
there was a sign where it say next services 46 miles I, we were about mile 20 and, nice. uh, and so just a lot of like extreme poverty addiction things that i had no background or experience in mm -hmm. growing up in my like very small like southern town and right. yeah, uh, I interacting with like uh, people who uh, were genuinely desperate. A lot of the ministry ended up being like, "Oh, so and so's out of water. I'm going to go borrow the water truck, drive into town, right? Get get some water and bring it back out." Uh, mm -hmm. But I was always fascinated as as a kid that like grew up very similarly, very evangelical. Got out there and realized like how useless most of that was for anything that we were actually doing. What? Absolutely, uh, yeah. Incredible, just to be like, oh well, that's that's all. I don't know what I believe at this point, but none of this is helping. Uh, <laughs> yeah, incredible. Um, but Joel Olstein connected with a ton of the people that I was working with out there, and I mean, we're talking like elderly people in like abject poverty, uh -huh. and I was always just so stunned it makes more sense now i was just 19 and didn't understand the hooks of the prosperity gospel even that like right there's a promise there of something that can like help radically transform your life even though it's a lie uh but i spent a lot of time listening to like people in their 70s tell me about what joel said this week oh god yeah it it is it is really uh really poisonous and toxic it's insidious and it, and it relies on a lot of the reason a lot of the same things that capital does where like yeah. you need you need that amount of desperation like there has to mm -hmm. be a base level of desperation for it to work like for it to be the solution too and like you know it, it's it's not really a um it's, it's not really a coincidence that like you know the prosperity gospel doesn't really hasn't really caught on with socialists or yeah, or a yeah. lot of the political leanings of the people who are the biggest proponents of this are are extraordinarily just doctrinaire capitalists mm -hmm. um, and and all that because y you do need that like there has to be an inequality to explain why it's okay that you're you're on the on the the winning side of that or to promise you that you'll get there yeah yeah and right. um, that whole thing is like I would explain to people is similar to the Q thing was because like I tell people. Who, who never grew up in it occasionally be like, oh yeah, well there's just idiots who will like go and like send their money to like whoever's on TV. And I'm like, yeah, but like there's, there's a level of desperation and a, a lack of a bullshit detector in a lot of people. And, yeah. mm -hmm. and those two things together, you know, you can have people, I don't know, like I, I have friends now who are like mad into astrology and it's like, not like that's any less weird or anything. Mm -hmm, it's mm -hmm. maybe less malevolent I, although actually, I mean, it can, that can get into some weird like phrenology shit or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Where it's like, like I'm not dating this person; they're a Capricorn. Or something, <laughs> and, and like, Fuck. But um, it's an anti-Capricorn podcast. Just to be clear, any Capricorns yeah, out there, turn this thing the fuck off. K Max, if you're a Capricorn buddy, <laughs> yeah. it's not. I don't mean you. It's fine. And Ska Mom, if you're listening to, it's fine. Yeah, Ska, Ska Mom gets a Capricorn pass. I'm just assuming that every Christian I've ever met now listens to this. That that's the running <laughs> gag now, I guess. Anyway, to wrap that up, the um, so I was in ministry. I was having to answer a whole lot of questions. A lot of people were asking questions, yeah. and um, I'd also been around so many people for whom like Christianity wasn't just kind of like a nice idea. It was like literally the thing that got them out and kept them from killing themselves. Yeah, like yeah. kind of thing. It was like very, very, very real. Like. I always kind of get annoyed at like I guess kind of like liberal Christians who really do see it as this kind of like nice game that you play a little bit 
where, where mm. it's this like fucking John Fugel saying or something like tweeting like, uh, hey, uh, Donald Trump, you say you're a Christian. Maybe if you read the book of Romans or something, <laughs> then you'd know that Jesus was a Democrat or something. And I'm like, you live in a in a, a little parlor game world. Like, you know nothing of this shit. Like, it is um, mm-hmm. like, and like, I think that that kind of thing, it's like, I remember when, uh, what's her name, who basically martyred herself to, for by not performing a civil union or whatever, whatever her name was. Oh, became, yeah. Kind of like, I don't like, recall her name. Celebra. Uh, that just lady who just seemed like a piece of shit. But yes. she, um, and I remember people going like, well, she's not like a real. Cr- Kim Davis. What was her name? Or it's, I think it's Kim Might Davis. Might have been something that like that. To? But I remember seeing liberal Christians being like, has she even read her Bible? And I'm like, yeah, she has. <laughs> yeah, yeah, asshole. You can make a case <laughs> for her beliefs through the Bible. In fact, millions of people do. It's extremely popular. And it's not that they aren't as smart as you. <laughs> at, yeah. at, I love, I love, but then they will do the same thing, and then they will retweet Pope, retweet Pope Francis, who believes the same thing that Kim yeah. does. He's not down with gay Absolutely. marriage. What the fuck do you? Th- what, what's your yeah. problem? Like, there's that level of like where the rubber meets the road reality, where the the faith stops being a thought experiment or a nice thing mm. that is just the frame around. It's not like your fandom or something. Yeah, yeah. It's not your Star Wars right. or Harry Potter or or the nice kind of poetic thing that you kind of believe. It's the I need to believe I'm going to heaven because everything sucks. And my daughter committed suicide. I need to know she's waiting there for me or else mm-hmm. I can't go on. Like, it's that kind of thing. I, I tend to get very irritated with the with people who, who don't have a lot of experience with that, who have a whole lot to say about about the topic, I guess, for like a better words. Sure, I don't. Want, yeah. I'm not trying to like gatekeep and be like, yeah, if you've never cried or have felt your life, like you know, whatever on it. <laughs> but it's one of those things where like the kind of like discussion around it gets kind of annoying to people who maybe have more desperate, concrete experience with the subject. I yes. Guess. Yeah. No. And, and I just sound like a. I just sound like a snob now. Who I'm like, yeah, you've never <laughs> been in the crunch. You don't know what the real shit's like. <laughs> I knew Jesus I mean. before I mean, he was I cool. Think- yeah, <laughs> I think it's I think it's some sort of very real way you're talking about class yeah. differences, which I think yeah. is like another difference between a lot of like leftists and libs. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like people with concrete needs have different relationships with these right. things. I think that's that's just that is a reality. I don't think you're being a snob. I mean, maybe, but not for this reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, like th- that's the thing. It's difficult to talk about because talking about Christianity, you're talking about a thousand different things. So it's like. Yeah. Everything I just talked about mm-hmm. to a lot of people is like, that's not recognizable as Christianity. And it's like, yeah, that's valid because there's a zillion Christianities and none of them are. There's, it's not like you can look up the dictionary definition of what is the real Christianity because it's like it's meant a lot of things to a lot of people over the past couple millennia. Like it's 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 a lot of things. I think we we, we can agree that Christianity is a land of contrast. <laughs> I'm going to spend the rest of the episode trying to backpedal so I don't sound like oh, you don't know the, what the real life is like or anything. But either, either way, it was definitely, like, that kind of experience. And, like, I feel like for that reason, it was harder for me when people were asking me questions about their lives to just be like, ah, oh, but who knows? It's a nice idea or something like that. Like, I need, I felt I needed answers and I needed explanations and that kind of stuff. And so, like, um, but all, over the past, over, like, 10 years of, like, my 20s or whatever, I left the church when I was, like, 28. And, mm-hmm. like, the... Um, I'm in like my late thirties now and the, uh, I'd, um, 
I think all that over the years just wore on me uh, to the extent that like I felt like I needed to look up questions. I needed to have answers. I needed to do that. And not in the sense of like, oh, I couldn't find an answer to this. Therefore, God doesn't exist. It was just a thing of I realized that after a while, I was doing a whole lot of work essentially in the PR and and damage control sectors for God. <laughs> yeah. Of, yeah. Mm. Scott, why does this happen? If the, like, why does evil exist? And I'm like, well, theologians have been grappling <laughs> with that for centuries. And they're like, yes, but why does it exist? And I'm like, well, some people talk about it in the sense of like, that allows God to like, let us do good. And they're like, that's a terrible answer. And I'm like, no, it isn't. <laughs> or like, God doesn't control free will. Why? Like, why is that the case, Scott? I don't know. I'm just read it online and it sounded okay. Uh, and uh I'd like, like to phone Scott Mom. I have questions. Yeah. God can't see the future. Scott, why would that be the case? I don't know. <laughs> like there was and like I realized that I was doing a whole lot of study so that I could make all those things make sense. Yeah. Or or they'd say, Scott, there's these verses about slavery, and I'm like, Yes, but if you read it in the original Greek, what it means is blah blah blah. It's like, oh Scott, it says that like women are this and I'm like, Yeah, but if you uh, I'm gonna find a translation that makes this fine mm, or something mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or whatever. Can we just focus on like the nice parts of Galatians or Grace <laughs> or something? Can we can we just can we pick out the parts of Jesus that aren't kind of weird in hindsight and just go with that? Like um, can we not talk about him as like a weird apocalyptic preacher but instead like a transcendent force that would be chill to hang out with today uh, or something? Like um after a while, um that's just a lot of work. And I think because it was really real to me. Yeah. And because it was, I felt a great responsibility to other people. It just eventually broke, I guess. And like a lot of people who've lost their faith, it's over before you realize it's over. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of times when you lose your faith, you realize that you actually lost it like two years ago, but you've been fighting like hell to keep it. Yeah and stuff and mm-hmm. like for me it was an eventual like I, we bethany and i hadn't gone to church for a while just because um just wasn't super comfortable at a lot of churches and didn't get a lot out of it even though we were involved in ministry and we sat down at one point in like the fall of like or late summer of like 2010 and we're like okay let's go to a church we haven't been to a church in a while like what do we believe at this point like let, let, let's take some stock and mm-hmm. figure out like do we want to go to like so you got like a mennonite church they seem like peaceniks and stuff and yeah, yeah. uh and all that stuff. Like we were very familiar with those kind of more progressive traditions. And so we were checking it out and we, we sat and we talked and we were just really honest with each other. And we were both at the same time, a kind of, it felt like holding on both because we were involved in ministry and because we had both been Christians all of our life and kind of for each other a little bit. And yeah. I feel like I was hanging on for the people who looked up to me mm. um, a little bit. Cause it's like, well, I've been giving you answers about this forever if I lose mm-hmm. my faith, what's it going to do to you? Kind of. Yeah. And then, I, then you feel like there's like a sunk cost thing where I feel guilt now because if I stop believing this thing, have I just been feeding people a line of bullshit forever? I'm embarrassed. I'm, I feel responsibility to others. I feel, you know, when I've explained this to people since then, you get a lot of the lines that are like, oh, that's because Scott, you were, you were trusting in your own flesh too much or putting yourself oh, God. in the orbit oh, no. or, or, or <laughs> no. that kind of thing. Or it's like, you overthought it. You know, you studied yourself right out of faith or whatever. And it's like, yeah, yes. I guess. The uh, problem with Christianity is it, it only works if you don't stare at it directly. <laughs> you got to kind of keep it in the peripheral. <laughs> L- literally when I, I, I have a, I have an, I have a tattoo on my arm that is so hard to explain to people who didn't grow up in the profoundly anti-intellectual culture that is evangelical Christianity. Mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. just an owl. 
and it has a big uh, banner under it that just says like thought and like it's the most like sounds like the most like reddit reason bro <laughs> type of tattoo but i have to explain to people I'm, I'm like i'm like no at the time like you have to understand like i was it, this was like an incredible difficult thing for me to be able to deal with um kind of the demand to unintellectualize every single aspect of my faith as soon as it got kind of you know whatever and so like the funny thing about that, as you say that, is like uh, when I, I went and I told other people in ministry after I gave like my last talk, which is fun giving a sermon when you don't believe it anymore. Ooh. Which is great. Um, that's fun. And um, so I finally like, yeah, I remember my last one was just about how like the book, uh, the book of Job is frustrating because God shows up at the end and it's like, you'll never quite understand why I just did all that shit to you, Job. <laughs> but at the, in the first chapter, they tell you why they did it. Which is just kind of a little goof between God and some other cosmic being, the accuser, depending on how you want to define him and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I'm like, I'm like, you know, Job has always been kind of troubling for me because it, there isn't some sort of grand purpose to it. God's just like, yeah, you know what? Let's fuck with him. You're on, buddy. Uh, it was the uh, pilot episode of Wipeout. They were like testing out a yeah. bunch of different things. It was American Ninja Warrior, but, you know, but I nobody wins. You, so, I guarantee you someone has done that as like like a their like sermon or whatever. Oh, not only did that happen, that happened last week. Like <laughs> Oh, that's happening right now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is that is contemporary. That is Job was kind of like the American ninja warrior of the Bible, right yeah, guys? Yeah. Um, Suffering <laughs> is our training. Oh, nice. So I, I went and told the other people in the ministry and the one guy literally, and he was a he was a cool guy. He's a nice guy. This is not me being like, oh, what a dummy. But he, he literally goes, oh, it makes sense that you'd leave the faith first. I mean, you read a lot. What? And that was it. No. And I, I laughed fucking, and stuff. No fucking way. And like, yeah, he said it. He was a really wonderful, nice guy. And I laughed when he said it um, and, and stuff. Oh, and, man. Uh, but it was basically that kind of thing of the, like, Scott, you questioned too much. And it wasn't because I was, like, particularly smart. It was just that I couldn't not take it seriously because i felt like it was real yeah i guess yeah. like i feel like there's a lot of l latitude you can get for your faith for keeping your faith when you don't actually take it particularly seriously mm -hmm. like and that's fine that's a totally valid thing like when i was joking when i was joking before about not wanting to come off like oh, i was hardcore I, I mean literally literally there are different ways of interacting with this concept and for me it was just a very bone deep reality type thing and when it stopped working in that sense i realized that i had just been struggling and desperately trying to claw onto this for so long and realizing that i didn't have to do that anymore was uh liberating honestly like it was really scary and i lost most of my friends and oh, uh that sucks people <laughs> uh, uh or at least a lot of them and um i got like I, I this is the most cringe thing that I, I did during that entire period, right? Um, so I felt like I felt a responsibility, or I felt weird because there were people I knew who were like, "Well, Scott, like I believed because you are the one who introduced me to this, and yeah. I don't know what to feel right now." And mm -hmm. um, there were a few people who got back to me and were like, "Oh, thank God, I also was losing my faith, and but I saw you believing so confidently." that I, I hung on because I was like, well, Scott seems to know something. <laughs> so maybe I'll keep, which is kind of the thing with a lot of like faith and just actually, and this happens in like the left and other things too, is like, if you can project a level of confidence about something, yeah. then people are looking for confidence, you know, like they're, they're looking for some sort of kind of reassurance and that's natural and stuff. But, you know, if you 
if you respect someone and they seem to really really convinced of something you might go all right well i'll give it a chance um Mm -hmm. kind of thing and so I started a, a, a blog, which is thankfully gone. It is nowhere. Do Until not try now. It. it is so gone. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, check it <laughs> out. <laughs> um, but I, I basically was like, okay, I'm going to, uh, people are asking me, and I, and I do feel, I keep saying responsibility a lot, but I guess that does come into it. I did feel like I need to at least explain to people who I had been the person to bring them to the Lord, why I no longer believed anymore. Yeah. So I wrote a blog thing where like every day for like two months, I basically wrote something on a different topic of like, here's why. I don't believe this part anymore or this kind of thing and here's how I got to here looking back on it it was probably some of the most cringe new like I just became an atheist stuff despite my not wanting to be that way it probably reads that way <laughs> I mean uh, or something a big shift <laughs> it is and I feel like when you've been preaching for a long time it gives you a false sense that you're do- you're saying something important hmm. or whatever for lack of better words. Uh, and I think at the time I felt like I still needed to do that or something. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so I did that. And like, you know, like aunt who I hadn't talked to in forever, like called me up drunk and was like, Scott, how did we fail you? And I'm like, I don't know if I've met you more than twice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the idea of calling someone up drunk to uh, try to bring them back to God. Yeah, it was so good. Yeah. Um, no, I love that woman. Yeah. I want to meet her. No, you don't. She is, of all my relatives, the one who is most <laughs> certainly Q-pilled right now. So Oof. you don't you don't want to go hang out with her. Yeah, so like I also, I got an email during that period from like um, an old band member of mine. Her mom was, I think, a college professor. And she emailed me basically chastising me. Being like, Scott, you think you're so clever and you're so like whatever, but God will judge you for this and all that and stuff. And I wrote back this like five page email being like, I'm going to lay out all my reasoning and stuff. And uh, I didn't get an answer back. (laughs) But um, that was hard. And it took a few years. I definitely had that like breakup period with God that like David Bazan wrote two albums about. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. um, yeah. (laughs) Curse Your Branches really does hit, hit a lot of my feelings though as oh uh, interesting that, see i, I came was... slightly later so i was more of like a brand new guy uh oh okay just right. like big big sad christian boy prior to how poorly that ended fuck that dude oh, okay right yeah when i first played night in the woods i had no idea who the fuck you were scott and uh I, how dare you <laughs> yeah you were just uh like night in the woods was just a game that austin walker said was good so i picked it up and i started playing oh, I love it. austin and i got to to the point where there's there's a pastor that you interact with and i just like got 30 seconds into that action and i was like this motherfucker has had some experience in ministry <laughs> like it just, yeah <laughs> yeah it was it was just this like immediate very visceral response and it was something that happens very rarely like i'm much more used to like walking dead season one where they're walking into the little country church and there's a giant crucifix uh in the middle of it where it's just like oh yeah you guys have no idea what the fuck you're talking about yeah you did the cliff notes on imagery of american christianity exactly and And so i hate that shit yeah and then you know years later having followed you on twitter i was just like yeah we got to bring this dude on like this guy's got some stories (laughs) yeah it's um that was fun like that character of of pastor k depending on your conversations with her like you kind of explore her own struggles of trying to be a progressive pastor Mm -hmm. in in a in a town that is not necessarily wanting her to do that and and her not having the power to materially help people um as much as she would like and there's a point where she kind of confides in may you know she she's she's a hit pastor she'll sit and talk with the kids and um the 
her talking about how like yeah there's definitely times of the day that she doesn't believe at all you know like which is i think a pretty honest thing to say for most christians that yeah you know there are definitely times when you're like yeah i don't even know if i buy this right now and um and and all that uh and may reacting and being like okay well then like what's the the point of you if you don't even believe this because may doesn't necessarily have the that experience mm-hmm. of needing to hold on to something for some sort of reason even if it is just sincere belief but n- it not being a constant always on tap <laughs> type of thing and uh yeah, yeah. I, I i definitely had that specific line in my notes as something that was just like yep okay uh that that very much jived with my experience in ministry and it just <laughs> you couldn't write that line without like knowing a little bit about of what you speak yeah, there's. Uh, it, it turns out not a whole lot of people in video game dev have been also been in ministry earlier in life, <laughs> so uh, we have a market cornered on, on that one. There's another character in the game that that game was fun to make um, for this perspective and cathartic because, like I said, like this happened to me in 2010 is when I left the church, and that's you know a long process and yeah. stuff. But like, and started writing that game in 2013, so it's still pretty fresh. Mm-hmm. And Angus, the bear character that you hang out with. Like he 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 gives a long talk about his kind of view of the cause of like cosmology essentially, mm-hmm. and like that's kind of where I ended up basically like oh uh, interesting wise and stuff like Angus is like just basically me talking at that point <laughs> uh, and and stuff so it was fun writing the pastor character who I really identified with when I was a Christian and then writing Angus's long long monologue about his life and his beliefs now and stuff and uh and stuff it was like fun being like yeah i can write both of these as a character yeah yeah and have them kind of like dialogue with each other i guess a little bit yeah and presented with gentleness i thought that was something really powerful in both instances that these are just people sharing their thoughts but there's not you know, so much of the rhetoric around this stuff gets really like polarized and politicized, and and it was yeah, because it's culture war shit yeah. a lot of the times, or it's um, a lot of times it is the right and liberals arguing in some form or another, and mm. and who is the right and who is the liberal, and as far as who is religious and non-religious, really changes depending on the conversation. Totally, but like um, I got a lot of people who responded to that in the game and were like, yeah, that's how I feel, and I just haven't heard anyone say that before, or like. Oh, that's how I feel about like, you know, being godless at this point, essentially. And I guess like for me, if I had to kind of describe where I am now, it's like an ecstatic atheism, I guess. Ooh, like interesting. Like there's like, I don't, I, I feel like at some point, so like this is just me talking. So I'm not talking to you two right now. Uh, but a lot of times people who kind of like, um, hold on to their faith maybe a little longer than other people do sometimes. Like once they become like more progressive or more whatever, and they kind of get out of like their kind of immediate, their starting area or something. They've unlocked the second <laughs> island yeah. or whatever. Video games. And stuff, yeah. And uh, life is like a video game. Jesus was a gamer. So the um, is because christianity and faith in general offers these ecstatic moments that are really important Mm. to you Mm -hmm. and give life meaning and if you don't have them life starts to feel mundane in a really bad way like if you for example like people go to church on like christmas even though they barely believe anymore it's like why because that experience of being in that place 
is important. There's like a ritual aspect of it. Where else are you going to hear eight people doing a bells thing? I mean, come on. Yeah, you got. Where else are you going to hear a handball? That's the next. Like I saw the sea shanty thing on TikTok. (laughs) It's gonna. Whenever anyone listens to this in the future, that's gonna really date when this. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) This is the timestamp. As someone who's kind of like an amateur, like folklore folk music person, I'm of course like sweet sea shanties, go for it, I guess. But the um, my my prediction is the next weird TikTok like music to get into is going to be a handbell choir. I love it. Everyone with a different bell, and uh, it's just going to like be a really particular strains of Christians yeah. dominating. <laughs> yeah, uh, this TikTok. is finally their moment. Wait, wait, return uh, to tradition gonna, at gonna last. They're gonna they're gonna do <laughs> yeah, secular songs. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. It'll be it'll be fantastic. They're gonna do uh, wet ass pussy or something, and uh, but in like handbell or something. Someone listening to this podcast, K Max, please mock <laughs> yeah, that up please. as a, as a goof. <laughs> we'll go viral. Yeah. Uh, so like, there's that. There are those kind of experiences. It's this thing to kind of like hang your year on, or your like time, like or like to mark time or something. It's like the. Um, you know, this is why this time of year is important to me, or this person is important to me, or these or these different things, or why life is meaningful to me. It's like, if I just had to focus on the drudgery of the day-to-day material aspects of it, I don't know if I would find this all that fun and worth it uh, kind of thing. Or or it sure. just feels, like, tasteless or something. Like, like life doesn't kind of have, like, a, a sort of, like, it, it, it feels dry or something. Like capitalism is grinding us all into dust and we're desperate for anything that can sort of bring a little bit of something different. Right. And and that's like important. I I feel like if if there's kind of like a pop, listen, if the, if the pop atheists have gotten one thing wrong and don't, and I I hate to be the one to say that Richard Dawkins got something wrong, but (laughs) oh yeah, um, that that is actually the one cancelable opinion on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. Just, you gotta be real into Richard Dawkins for some reason (laughs) and his dog 69ing. But the, um, But like uh, it's there, there's a level of um, of dryness that, that can kind of come from it, and that that kind of ecstatic experience of like, no, this is like, yeah, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me, but I'm holding to this because it's meaningful to me in some sort of fashion that I can't even necessarily describe, other than maybe using the words of other people that have written about it, which is fine, mm-hmm. and um, and stuff. This is like what keeps a lot of people there. Um, even people who aren't necessarily looking for it as like a literal answer, like that there's a literal God up there answering, you know? So Derek Webb from Caveman's Call. Yes, of course. Uh, uh, lost his faith and put mm-hmm. out his God Breakup album last year. <laughs> um, actually, he, no, well, he, he made, no, he's, he put out his God Breakup album like two years ago. That's, that's an important thing is the God Breakup album. <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, no, it and is. You can, and you can tell because oftentimes that will be the album that has the curse word on it. Mm-hmm. Um, or something. Yeah, although the, I don't know, wedding dress. He he did say whore. He called yeah, himself he did, a whore. Yeah, it's true. I saw Derek Webb teach a Sunday school class at a at a one of those Christian festivals. Oh, once. nice. Yeah, we yeah. talked about our for you guys' first concert. My first concert was Cabin's Call and Jarzak Clay at Six Flags in Texas. Holy shit! Fuck, that's a <laughs> nice. mood. Cabin's Call, like De- Derek Webb's, like is a like like a legit really good songwriter. He oh, is. Yeah. He is really good. No, it's good, good music. Yeah. I I get Table for Two stuck in my head all the time. Aww. Like w- w- when I'm feeling like really like down or stressed or whatever, I get I get Table for Two stuck in my head because it's just a really good song um, about Calvinism and how the Lord <laughs> yeah. has 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 set aside a, a mate for you, and so you do not need to worry. Uh, Derek Webb is now going to do wet ass Protestantism. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's true. That 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 song like that is literally I think Derek Webb writes wrote the most beautiful 
descriptions of Calvinism that has ever been written. Because like there's the because that yeah that song specifically about uh, I'm a Calvinist and I'm worried about that I'll never get married, but, I, but I'm a Calvinist so I don't have to worry about it because God has already preordained it or whatever. Yeah. There was a line that was like. Um, something like you knew how you'd save me before i fell dead in the garden or something and mm. it's like it's like to me now i'm like that's the most fucked up cosmology but <laughs> yeah. uh it's also just really and like like get you like given the chance and the rocks see which one breaks a window it's like this really gorgeous writing about it and yeah anyway now he doesn't believe in god anymore but um the but yeah Derek he came Webb, come on the podcast He'd probably do it. Uh, he seems like a nice guy. I subscribed to his Patreon a bit because I wanted to. I wanted to see him talk mm. about his, him losing his faith because because of this, I have like a real to use a Christian term. I have a real heart for uh, for like thoughtful, regretful apostates, mm. <laughs> like pe- mm-hmm. people who were like, "Yo, I tried to make this work. Like, I'm not being an edge lord about this. Yeah, this was a, a major part of my life, and it's not here anymore. And I am now having to deal with this and create." My, my a new meaning and Derek Webb watching him go through that like from afar from the internet uh, has been great because I've, I've watched him write songs that completely mapped onto how I felt immediately after losing my faith and all the ways oh, that wow. he's probably going to look back on now and go eh, maybe a little <laughs> little much here or something but um, yeah, uh, back to ecstatic atheism. Oh no. right, yeah. yeah. Th- this this thing that is not a brand term. It's just a <laughs> thing I just came up with. But like, uh, it, I was explaining to someone else, someone's like mystical Christian atheism. I'm like, no, I feel like mis- mystic mystic kind of entails that there's a, a, a there's an unseen element to this. Yeah, and I don't believe there is necessarily. But like. Um, so, like, a lot of the reason why people stay with this is because it, it, it uh, cause, cause belief, that kind of religious belief, offers these kind of, um, these kind of experiences and these emotions that transcend this kind of material reality that we're all dealing with, which the misery of capitalism is a lot of it. And, mm-hmm. um, or just the misery of having a body that you're going to die or something, or you're trapped within your own subjectivity <laughs> or something. Sure, sure. Or, or you're I'm Derek stuck Webb. in here with me. <laughs> Yeah, uh, or you're Derek Webb and you're in college and you're worried that no girl's ever going to marry you or something, Aww. you know, like something like that um, uh, or whatever. And like this, you know, you hear people all the time and I hear people all the time. And I was definitely one of the people who was like, if I didn't have this, I don't know what my life would be centered around. And like a lot of it is this framework and this kind of story of the universe that feels like it like hugs you a little bit. Like it feels like, oh, this is a universe that's aware I exist and I have a purpose in it. Mm-hmm. And and my purpose is because I have been purposed. It's not like, it's one of those things where it's like, one of the, I guess one of the reasons I ended up losing my faith is like, when I look back on like, oh, what were like the legs that got knocked out of things, you know, that made me eventually kind of conceptually lose it was losing the idea that God is like, oh, God has a plan for you, right? And that's why you're mm-hmm. valuable. Or God created you and that's why you're valuable. There was a, definitely a point where I was like, wait, why, why is god as a as a being that has preferences for some reason uh why is god's preference something that is different than the preference of anyone else or something like the idea other than the fact that god is very large and powerful um the uh it's the kind of thing of the like well god has a purpose for you and it's like okay so like a lot of people have purposes for me like what what is what is unique about this and the idea is like well because god said yeah, and because, uh, Scott, I'm not sure if you're aware, there is a hole in your heart 
Um, it has a very right. particular it's, shape. Uh, yeah, it's a shape you know, of of the Risen Lord. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that kind of thing that, like, there's this missing part of us that can only be filled by that. But, like, it was that kind of thing of the, like, oh, like, because we would always talk about God wanting things, which is also weird for an omniscient being. But the, like, wait, why do you want anything if you're, like, perfect? Like, what, what the fuck? But anyway, the... Um, <laughs> That's getting into like all this like if you're trying to argue with someone online about it shit. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah, is, yeah. Is, is not the stuff that actually I don't, I don't think matters. But there is this idea that you you can kind of um, accept the subjective value that God places in things and go, yep, I agree with that, and therefore I value this too because God says it's valuable and it comes from God and I value things that come from God and I trust God's value judgment as an entity that I've I, I have agreed that I find their preferences meaningful or something. Um, yeah, yeah. We all remember when God gave his, like, tier list for his Smash characters on Mount Sinai, and uh, yeah. that's why that's why we all accept that Marth is S-tiered. Uh, yeah, that's basically it. Like, yeah. well, when, 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 he, when he... Then God got into all those, like, tier memes and he just got really tired <laughs> yeah, after a yeah. while. He's, that's like, ranking sandwiches. We don't, we don't talk about that. That's why we kicked that shit out of the Bible. <laughs> then he got into those alignment chart things where it was, like, oh, yeah, God, sandwiches, no. where, like, you start from, like, a classic no. peanut butter and jelly to, like, a taco <laughs> to, like, a deck of cards or something, and you're like, the fuck? But anyway, so it's, like... Uh, so the faith offers that, and it also offers these kind of, like, uh, these kind of ecstatic experiences where you're, like, I feel, like, a strong connection to the creation and God and something bigger than me, but it's still kind of like, I'm like part of an ocean, but I'm like this kind of droplet in an ocean. Like I still exist, but I'm connected to something bigger. That feeling of connecting to something bigger tends to be a big, important thing in people's lives. Yeah. Um, that's in in and out of religion. For, right. Well, yeah. I was going to say, that's like solidarity, like the mm -hmm. kind of ecstatic feeling of solidarity of we're all together, understanding and caring about each other, like purposefully uh, and with like a common purpose together. Yeah. Um, kind of thing, um, which I think at its best, church gives you that, the feeling of we all came here in order to kind of have this common purpose and this common expression that is both us, that is kind of us talking about our lives, but also kind of defining ourselves as like gr a group. But like after a while, I realized like, oh, wait, I actually have all these feelings without God involved at all. Like mm -hmm. I'd... I can like I'm really into like I don't know if you if you played Night in the Woods you may have noticed that a lot of stars and constellations and stuff is yeah, like yeah. when I was like a kid I was really into like constellations and like deep sky objects and everything just the idea that you could like I remember when I lost my faith having this moment where it was Bethany and I had the conversation where we both kind of dumbfoundedly looked at each other and were like oh my god do we even believe anymore holy shit like and so because we were the cool christians that that swore so we, we could yeah. say holy shit so yeah, the yeah. um so the we said, holy shit. shits we said oh my god holy <laughs> shit but by grace i am saved and the um uh lest no man <laughs> so no man can boast uh, <laughs> and i remember walking out when i could finally admit to myself like oh i believe that we're on i guess on a rock that's hurt that's eternally falling through space around a star and I, it was like, it was in the summer and it was like seven or eight at night. So like you have those kind of like long summer evenings where you get like a lot of stars that are just kind of winking into view, even mm -hmm. though it's pretty light out. Sun's gone down, there's still some stars out. And I remember looking at the, up at the, at the sky and those first few stars are out kind of in like the, the peak of the sky where it's darkest and having this weird moment 
of realization that I was staring across this endless sea of void at an actual object. Mm -hmm. That, like, moment where I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> we are out here on this rock, and I'm, I'm, I'm staring out. At, and, like, I wanted to, like... Like, it's, it's like when you take, like, a cat outside for the first time, like, on a leash, and it just hugs the ground. If you've ever seen that, they just get flat and hug the ground yeah. or something. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like when you're in the Midwest, and it's really flat or something, and you're like, the sky's oh, yeah. too big! Yeah, I, uh, I remember driving through the salt flats. I think it was on the 40 coming through, where, like, there's just enough water that it's nothing but sky, nothing but flat, and then the water is reflecting the sky. Right. And, so, and just that, that immensity of just like, oh, God. <laughs> like, yeah. But, but that kind of feeling, that feeling of, like, overwhelmedness at the largeness of this thing that you're a part mm -hmm. of is that ecstatic moment, right, of the, like, when you're in, like, a worship service or something. Like, I always really connected with God through music and stuff, hence being in ska bands for a really long time. <laughs> the holiest but, of genres. Um but the yes the holiest of them but the um but uh but that kind of like feeling of like music and singing and, and everything was really important to me because yeah. in part because i feel like there was there's that feeling of being connected to something bigger and being connected to the people around you it's like when i got into punk rock and going to like punk shows we were all like yelling and screaming the same things along mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. it in like in like in protests like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and like and yeah that kind of thing or yeah. like i remember the first dsa meeting i ever went to we split up because there was like too many people there to have like one group talk mm -hmm. and we all split up and had this meeting we, we, and it was like our icebreaker game very youth group was like cool why are you here basically like who yeah. are you like what's your like you know two sentences about you and then what brings you here and people cried because it was the first time any a lot of us had ever been in a room with a bunch of strangers from a bunch of different backgrounds, a bunch of different age groups, all of us saying capitalism is breaking us or yeah. has broken us in yeah. some sort of way. That's what brought me here. And that feeling like people, like I said, people broke down in tears at just, oh, my God, I'm recognized. I have like a face that someone's looking at. Yeah, and, and we're stuff. so solidarity starved in this country. Like, there are just so few places Incredible you can go. Incredible times of loneliness, absolutely. Yeah. Like, the, that was the Felix Biederman and John Boyce thing of the... It, it, it was their MMA series. Uh, oh, yeah, series fighting, in, fighting like, in the age of loneliness. In the age of loneliness. And I thought that that was a really beautiful way of discussing a lot of what we end up doing is fighting in an age of loneliness. Totally. And all that. So it's like, after a while, I think I realized that, like, all, all those experiences I was having that were deeply meaningful... I had apart from God, mm -hmm. um, God was almost like a weird like framework or middleman that outlived its usefulness. And I, and I ended up having a, I ended up like feeling like I had to explain to myself and other people constantly why this worked and made sense and why I was doing it, which again, like a lot of times like, I've explained this to people, people go, oh, well, see, that was your problem is that you had to feel like you explained it. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, guilty as charged. I, did. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I did have to think about the thing that <laughs> I ordered my life around <laughs> and, and, and told other people they should do likewise. Like, yeah, it seemed yeah. uh, kind of a bad thing. And so like, it was a really difficult breakup with God, but like it ended up because of realizing that like now when I like go out and like like my wife and I do a lot of like like if you follow me on Twitter you've seen like we do a lot of like driving around and like exploring like old like old historical stuff. We're in PA out yeah. in Western PA. There's a lot of shit out in the woods here. It is old. 
and a lot and a lot of times connected to extraordinarily violent labor and like left past. And yes. And what was that? that? What was that town you visited that a guy had bought? Yellow Dog. And, oh fuck man. Me. That was heavy. That was probably the single most depressing place I have ever been in my life. That was Well, rough. tell you what, because I want to talk a little bit about labor conditions in games right, yeah. and, and Night in the Woods. Is there anything else you wanted to say on religion, the lack thereof, faith, Five Iron Frenzy, before <laughs> we sort of move? Um, several members of Five Iron Frenzy aren't Christians anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can hear that on their recent albums, and, it's, and it, it works, I think. So there you go. Okay. Um, I like this. This is fun. I never get to. I never get to out, to out my Fire Iron Frenzy positivity. Of all the bands, <laughs> there, there were there were several Christian ska bands, and the Supertones were basically like nothing that they ever sang about was would have been out of like it was just the most stock, somewhat reactionary evangelical shit. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And and just like very like oh we're gonna like die for our beliefs, and it was like dude you're playing Creation Fest or whatever. <laughs> um, but um, and then there was the insiders who were that, but they had worse lyrics. Uh-huh. And then, uh, but then Five Iron was like, "Oh, this is a band that was singing about like the brutality of manifest destiny and capitalism," and their lyrics were sounded like they were familiar with other things outside of the Christian bookstores that sold their CDs. Yeah, um, Zonderman. All the, yeah, these on the family Christian. The bookstores. sign of the fish, the lifeways. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so Five Iron for that reason, I, I've talked to a lot of people who kind of because of their our, our age are like, oh yeah, I remember, uh, yeah, Christian bands that we were into during that whole era and blah blah blah, and they're like, still kind of like Five Iron Frenzy though, <laughs> like that kind of comes up a whole bunch. So for sure, I I as somebody that didn't have a Five Iron Frenzy uh, stage, I regret very much because I was busy listening to all of these Christian artists that had none of the interesting lyrical content it's like yeah. oh it was right there i knew so many people that were into five i could have i could have been on this train so much sooner there's a lot of like goofy stuff in five iron like um that's like kind of like that regrettable kind of like late 90s youth group goofiness and sure stuff. sure sure but then it's like every third song you're like oh, that was actually really good like <laughs> yeah. and thought-provoking and cool the, the first song on their first album is basically just like trashing manifest destiny and talking about how the u.s is founded on genocide they allowed this to be played at christian bookstores i love it i love it they they were the deep cover man like they got in there yeah they did yeah um which is amazing because like you know a lot of those places would have freaked out if you had said you voted democrat so like it's right yeah they they were definitely a band that was like writing about that stuff like they had like their anti-homophobia songs that are still mm-hmm. a little homophobic because it's still 90s christianity <laughs> it's, it's still like listen we love them so it, it yeah it, it's very much like yeah god loves even the whores and gays okay oh, and you're like you're like you're like uh, yeah oh <laughs> shit okay um, context matters context matters y- yeah like imagine if jesus has aids then would you hate <laughs> gay people like literally like that kind of stuff yeah you're like yeah. no I, I i have heard people say that verbatim yeah <laughs> it is which again is someone who's like a closeted queer like kid growing up in that you're like yay someone who's kind of affirming in the weirdest way possible <laughs> yeah um so anyway that, that's my last thing is the plug for yeah no that's good frenzy. that's good 
I feel awesome. bad, honestly, that awesome. we, we got you on our podcast because there's another like leftist Christian podcast, The Magnificast, and uh, Matt on that is like the biggest ska head, has done whole episodes on ska. So I feel really bad that we let you down here. We should have brought our ska expert uh, in. It's all right. I'm, I'm, un, I'm unfamiliar with that one. If you want to boot me over to that one. That, yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll get him on the line. <laughs> I, he would join in a heartbeat just to keep this conversation going. Yeah, I, uh, I, I was going to say we could do like several hours on just <laughs> yeah. my time in Christian. Christian ska and, and Christian music thing. But uh, yeah, anyway. So let's talk a little bit about that town that you visited and the history mm. of sort of labor and then maybe a little bit about how that connects to Night in the Woods, a game right. that you made about a uh, Rust Belt town where the industry is dried up. Right. That town that you're talking specifically is called Yellow Dog and people can look it up. And Yellow mm. Dog is kind of like a um, derogatory term for workers who agree to never strike or join a union or anything like they sign like yeah. a, an agreement or something it's like a yellow dog agreement it's like it's very old timey like saying it's like oh you yellow dog and uh, yeah kind of thing and um so it's about an hour north of pittsburgh there's this town it was called something else but everyone there called a yellow dog um because they were kind of proud of it for some reason and there was like a limestone to make this the, the an incredibly long and complicated story short limestone company was opening up a mine because there's a huge reserve of, of limestone like and on the mountain right over the river there and they um the workers were working there and they're like it takes us too long to get here and so hey boss if you build us a company town that you can own it we'll never strike Jeez. um yeah and so that happened, according to the guy who now owns it, which we'll get into why one guy now owns it um, in a Jeff second. Jeff Bezos. Um, yeah, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> but, like, the um, the mine ended up shutting down in, like, the 50s. And then it kind of, like, but, you know, it was a company town, so it was one owner. And so, like, it just kind of passed from owner to owner, like, company to, like, holding company to, like, landlords. Actually, it was recently, or, like, at some point was owned by a lawyer whose last name was literally Buzzard. Like, I'm not even joking. It's like an actual. Oh God! <laughs> um, so like, there's like a sign that's like that something is, buzzard field or whatever. It's great, and so like, um, but uh, th through a bunch of other stuff, you know, it's like there, like when the mine went out, people there were like hopping, you know, from work to work. There's a bunch of mushroom farming in, in underground in, P in Pennsylvania, mm. and so like there was like a, a mushroom farming place that everyone was like working at for a while but then like that they um due to you know competition they ended up cutting everyone's wages and then they went uh and then like um around about the same time uh the 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 crash of 08 hit and the landlord there jacked up everyone's rent at the same time they got like cuts to their paychecks Good thing that was um, the last time that happened in American history. Yeah, uh, that was basically it. And so, like, and then, like, their water basically went bad. They had, like, E. coli in, like, their spring, and there just wasn't enough anything to fix that, basically. Mm -hmm. Like, there, was, there wasn't any municipal water going to this place or yeah. anything. It was just all on the spring. It was all privately owned town. Like, they never got hooked up to anything. And so, yeah, the... And then everyone basically had to leave. Like uh, people had been trickling out because the jobs had just dried up over like decades and no one ever owned any of their houses or anything in town. And so basically they just, the, this entire little community of like 20 or 30 homes or something just had one landlord. No one ever got to own their house, which is why it's like an intact company town because most company towns, 
either completely evaporated or they got parceled out. Like, yeah. like it's like, oh, you the company came out, but then you could buy your house or something. Exactly. That never happened here. Everyone's house was just owned lock, stock, and barrel by someone all, always, Oof. by one person. Yeah. And when that person pulled out, he basically said, okay, everyone, you have to leave. And then everyone had to pick up and leave within like a couple weeks. And so you can go to Yellow Dog now. One guy owns it. He wants to kind of open it as like a historic site or mm-hmm. something. But he wants to do it privately. And I don't know if he's ever going to get funding for it. Really sure. nice guy. He'll tell you all about it if you pay him 100 bucks and let you walk around these houses. And these houses were like this is the last ones were abandoned in like 2012 or something like wow i didn't realize it was that recent even yeah the ones who were left it was that recent I, it was clear that some of these places had been abandoned sure. for a bit before and uh when the guy was like well i can't make a buck flipping this place i'm just gonna like put it up on the market you all have to get out now because the water's bad see ya and People left, and like some of these houses you go to, they've just been kind of open to the elements in some form or another for like eight years or something. But mm-hmm. a lot, several, uh, they left like a lot of them left like all of their belongings behind. Yeah, that was that was. I saw the pictures that you posted, and it was just like, wow, it is a a gut punch to see. Yeah, it's like you're in this like you're in a bedroom, and there's this kids like CDs and video games, and you're like, this is like sacred objects when you're like, yeah. 10. Yeah. And stuff. And so, like, I'm looking down, there's like a Mad Cats controller and a copy of American Idiot. And I'm like, no Ooh. child would have left either of these no, things. No. And so, and you're looking, and there's like photo albums and shit on the ground. It is really hard place to be, I feel like. Yeah. And, you know, going to experience that. And then also in this moment of an eviction crisis happening in our country. Right. Like, to just, yeah. It. Yeah, and when you have that, like, when you've seen that in your family, when you've been close to that, which I have in the past, yep. and, like, all this other stuff, it is, at, at some point, like, I, I joked that, like, Bethany and I feel like, because we, most of the places we go were some sort of massacre happened, it happened, like, 100 years ago, yeah, or yeah. something, or, like, so you have those history goggles on, it's like, you know, when you watch, like, the Hindenburg crash, you're not like, oh my god, I'm feeling the humanity of every single person who's just died, or something, like, you're like, oh, that's history. I can view it in this kind of detail. Everyone sense. from like, then, this... that time's dead. So, you know. Yeah, it's yeah, it's history. Everyone died back then. Uh, but <laughs> the um, uh, that was before we didn't die. So <laughs> yeah. the um, wait, I thought you weren't a Christian. No, okay. um, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, um, but this was too close. Yeah. This is entirely yeah. too close. Like we were walking around like a still warm crime scene. Basically, it felt like totally. Like like we we joked that like Bethany and I often feel like we're we're just people who were like at the crime scene of capitalism. Like we're just mm. tracing out chalk lines, which they don't do anymore, but you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, and yeah. Uh, that kind of thing where we're just like walking around the scene of the crime and going like, well, who's dead? Like what, what, what happened here? And like, we go to all these abandoned places. We were at a powder mill that's out in the middle of the Hills down here. Um, kind of like as you start getting into like more like upper Appalachia, like, which is not very far from here. Pittsburgh's technically Appalachia, but like, it really depends on who you ask if it sure, counts, sure, sure. which is fine, whatever. I always joke about it because Pittsburgh calls itself the Paris of Appalachia. Oh, God. Funny. <laughs> no. Yeah. Shut it down. Yeah. Um, which is why I'm, on my Twitter, my location is just the, the Paris of Appalachia. Just yeah, it's such perfect. a funny, hilarious thing to call a city. But like, And whether Pittsburgh counts as App- Appalachia is kind of like its own its own thing. You can go ask the Trobillies about it. <laughs> okay, yeah. But, like, so if you drive, like, a little farther down here, you are, though, getting into essentially West Virginia. And um, there's there's this powder mill 
that exploded like five times and killed loads of people over the decades just Jesus. out in the middle of these hills. And it's, it's remote enough that a lot of it's still standing that didn't explode. And it's remote enough that there's like no graffiti or no vandalism anywhere wow. on it. Like it's that remote. So you can just go find all these places, but they're usually pretty far in the past. And this was near enough. And it's not like we don't see this stuff up close. We've seen it in our own families. And yeah. oftentimes in, in the past when we've been really destitute and thought like, oh, right, this is where we're headed to just being evicted mm -hmm. and, and stuff um, before we were successful video game makers. <laughs> and um, it, it was that kind of like thing. And I think like that creeps its way into our work a lot. Like, yeah, we kind of can't keep that out of it, which is why I think Night in the Woods really focuses on a lot of that kind of thing. It's like, what else are we going to write about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it, it is a game that speaks powerfully to questions of poverty. Not to quote your own GDC talk back at you, but you mentioned that like politics and ga games are often rewarded for tourism. That like right, so often yeah. it, it's totally okay just to, uh, you know, watch Shag's Legion. Let's just pull out some BLM signs and throw it up and call it good. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and uh, to see a game steeped in the history of, you know, very real towns, even as you're writing and creating a fictionalized one, was very powerful. It is very powerful. Uh, I'm glad you think so. Yeah, like uh, it, it definitely got a response. There were definitely folks who I think didn't pick, get it because of that reason very mm, much. Uh, mm -hmm. But, like, much more than that, we got lots of people who were like, I've never seen myself represented before, even yeah. if it is a cartoon animal. And I'm like, yeah. Um, and so, you're you're going to make going furries like, of us all, Scott. <laughs> yeah. I, it's funny thing is, I didn't know much about furries before we started making this game. Oh, you and poor I, sweet to, summer child. <laughs> to, to, to me, I come out of, like, weird indie animation and comic stuff. So, yeah, like, drawing, yeah. like, weird shithead animal characters is kind of like fine and normal and everything and then when i got into this i was like oh furries they're people who like dressing up like animals right and like little did i know that the furries were going to become a very very big part of my online life <laughs> from now on out and so like a lot of them like are always trying to get me to confess to being a furry i'm like no i just like drawing cartoon animals leave me alone um they're very nice, though, if any furries are... It came max if you're a furry. <laughs> K-Max, listen, you look great in the costume, buddy. No, yeah, no don't, don't ever apologize for being you. K-Max, tweet, tweet at me what your fursona is, please. <laughs> I need to know. I need to know K-Max. Maybe K-Max is at all these furry conventions, but like he's in one of those full fursuits, and you can never... I think we need to decide K-Max's fursona real quick. Um, mm. I'm going with Lynx. He's yeah. Some, some sort of large cat, but not like a tiger, not an overly aggressive one, something a little slinkier. <laughs> yeah i think that makes sense yeah. i would go with uh, lynx or bobcat something oh, along yeah, those yeah. lines yeah. something yeah. something in the family Good call i think you nailed it in one there <laughs> yeah you know, you, it's my you only talent <laughs> you you didn't set it up for the yes and michael that's true. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was not that was not good improv of me. Uh, no, I, I mean there was no need to improv though. You 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 did it. God said it, and I believe it. There you go. There you go. Uh, I need to uh, jump off. I, but I told you this would be your longest episode. Uh, you did not lie. Knew Scott, thank you happen. so much for coming on. It has been really fun, and uh, I hope we get to chat again and have you on in the future as well. Thanks. Yeah, it was great chatting with you. All right. Bye, bye Zach. guys. I feel I feel guilty. I made your podcast go for so long that one of the hosts had to leave. <laughs> do not do not apologize for good content. I, I realized recently, speaking of on your heart, like just as far as Christianisms, every now and again I'll be like, Oh, I have a real heart for this and it's like, Wow, that's yep. a Christianism. Yep. Uh, and you just, I realized, you just finished the bingo card, baby. I realize I say just a lot now because when you're praying, you're like, If God, you could just just yeah. 
God, if you could just... And I say just like that all the time now. Mm. And I was like, oh, wow. I've internalized group prayer. Uh, yeah, that's why I, I unfortunately still call everyone in my life father about 15 times a sentence. Yeah, nice. Yeah, <laughs> Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed. Yeah. Um, I remember at one point I was telling a friend about what altar calls are. Oh, and, wow. And, oh, and, you got and to he, explain he would, it. Yeah, and I got to do the speech. I, I, was like, I was like, yeah, there's a really particular kind of speech that you can do that everyone who has been at it knows because it's just like it's like with every head bowed and every eye Mm -hmm. closed you know if tonight if you feel like god is like you know on your heart just raise your hand no one else can see you but i can see you and god can see you and like oh okay i see you there i see you there and then like Mm -hmm. by saying that i see you there other people are then encouraged to also even if like no one the trick is you say i see you there before anyone raises their hand right yeah yeah um and all that but uh it's basically like seven up but for salvation yeah essentially that's how (laughs) that's that's how it works it's in the bible (laughs) um if you if you go to the book of uh, of of philemon yeah you got to read it in the greek though or or the original yeah Yeah. you you need to have the keyword bible where you can go back and forth (laughs) between greek and everything and then it says being gay is okay um john MacArthur's study bible helps lay that out yeah, yeah. I got really into, you know, I was reading Systematic Theology by Wayne Grudem, and it says, oh, has a whole bit about, uh, not just name dropping, we're just name dropping no, obscure Christians I, This now. is the deepest cut podcast we've ever done, and I love it. I always feel so bad that, like, oh, I feel like, you know, people are coming to this pod from different places, not everyone has these experiences, and we're just off talking about random old white fuckers, and, like... <laughs> Like, we still are technically. Yeah, no, totally, totally. But like, uh, I just—it's nice to have someone else that is going to drop deep cuts too. So I'm just like unapologetically, uh, you know, listen. The path is narrow. People will stumble. Like, not everyone can follow <laughs> us on this journey. That's true. Yeah. Wayne Grudem's systemic systematic theology is a is a book that I still own. Uh, oh my Specifically God, really? because. I have a collection of these actually like theological books that I would no longer claim any sort of belief in, but people wrote really nice and meaningful messages to me in them. Mm -hmm. And I can't bring it in myself to like throw that part away. The little thing that they put in them, even if like what you handed me was garbage, but like your intentions were so sweet and pure. And I just feel like I'm spitting in your face if I towed it. So there's, a bunch of shitty uh, theology on my shelf for that. That's why I still own several showbread albums. Um, (laughs) Honestly, it's like the uh, no, sir. Nihilism is a practical is a really great album. Mm -hmm. And there's speaking of the bringing back at five iron frenzy. again. (laughs) the most I've talked about five iron frenzy in several years, but the, um, is it it was that level of thing of like the, okay, I found a way that I still connect with this, even though it's like completely different belief system. And everything, because there's there's a core there that still, for the most part, works. There's a lot of their stuff now that's that that is Christiany to the extent that I'm like, it just feels weird. Like it's like I'm like going back and hanging out with an ex girlfriend or something. I'm like, this just doesn't work anymore. But um, but but there's still a vibe, and you realize like, oh, that vibe and that kind of like overall feeling again that kind of ecstatic feeling like oh that's what i connected with and that's still there so that's mm-hmm. cool but um anyway speaking of rank grudem have you read any of his fiction like the book no. of the dun cow and the book of <laughs> no i go have read not the book of the dun cow i believe that's wayne grudem oh, i believe it man. is and uh and the book of sorrows the book of sorrows goes hard uh the oh. book of so the book of the dun cow is this kind of like animal fable type thing fantasy uh-huh, deal uh-huh. and then the book of sorrows is the is the is the sequel and the, the book of the dung cow is like kind of grim kind of you know kind of like harsh and then the book of sorrows is like the harshest thing you have ever read 
that ever happened to a bunch of talking animals. It is unbelievably dark book. Yeah. That, oh, man. Yeah, I, I, I'm saying everyone go read the Book of Sorrows and get real ready to cry about <laughs> what happens to some chickens and coyotes. Um, this this is already connecting to like my Red Wall upbringing of uh, reading those. Yeah, books. it's 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 got a little bit of of Watership. Yeah, down Watership Down and yeah. stuff in it. Yeah, there's a little bit of that, except for it's like a barnyard. I um, but anyway, right? Politics, video games. So yeah, the um. Uh, a lot of the the political stuff in games. There's a lot of people in games who are like you know leftists or who are like you know at least liberals or whatever. But like a lot of game development doesn't allow for them to put a lot of what they their politics in it, uh, especially if they're working for bigger studios because it's determined by people like above like over their head like what they can and can't put in there. And sure. so I mean Reagan did call me they them, so I'm not sure I totally agree with you there. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> inclusive. Val- validating Reagan, like validating. I know, I know several folks who who go by they them who have just been laughing at this. Of for course, like, you at, have to for months because it's just the most absurd thing. Of the yeah, inclusivity in video games is good. You're also dealing with Ronald Reagan, who mm-hmm. is a fucking like psychopath, like you know, who is who who was even more deranged than like demented Trump. Like it's oh yeah, just Ar- absolute, architect of. So many of our current evils, like the absolutely, yeah. you can trace so much of it back to the Reagan Revolution. Totally, yeah. But because like we were in like, um, I feel like because we were setting the game where Bethany has lived all her life. She's from Central Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. and I've lived out here since like 1999, so like half my life or so, and uh, a little more than half my life. And um, the uh, uh, and so we were making a game because we were like, there's this game called Kentucky Route Zero that I love. It's <laughs> yes ever. It's so good. God. And um, I'd played that and I was like, oh, it was really neat playing a game that had places that seemed like I recognized them. Yep. And then so like when it came time to make a game, I was like, I would really like to make a game that's like about because we had had other ideas for Night in the Woods and, and all that. But I just remember one night I was just like, I hate all these ideas. None of us are super into it. So I'm going to and I just was watching Return of the Living Dead uh and i was uh and i wrote out this like thing and i was like this is going to be about kind of like the punk kids that i knew and was and in these towns that i've now like hung out in and lived in for like the past 20 years and Mm. where bethany lived all of her life and it kind of came from that and i feel like at some point we were like oh to actually do justice to the place and to the people we have to go into the politics you just can't do the story without it it's just too much of a part of it one of the funniest things about it was so the game came out in february of 20 of 2017 like mm-hmm. right as the trump presidency began and so it was interpreted by a lot of people as like a referendum on trump and maga culture and everything uh because of uh not to spoil but <laughs> you, you you run into some reactionaries yeah, at yeah, some yeah. point and stuff there's some hoods. And it's, yeah, and, and there's and you're kind of uh, it ties it into a lot of the economics of the of the situation. Yeah. So like at a time when everyone was doing really sloppy like economic anxiety stuff that was just really cringy, where they were like sending like you know Washington Post is sending on someone on a safari <laughs> yeah. to find the most the, the most racist looking old guy at a diner to ask why he voted for Trump or something like totally and like doing that like in towns where we lived and stuff. And no, it was just so, uh, American so anthropology, like it, or it, in the like 60s sense of the word, where they're just like, and now here here we are with these people that we're not going to call savages anymore, but yeah. Know. Yeah, uh, we're going to do the war on poverty for all these uh, people here uh, who are genetically simple. Um, But 
Yeah, so, like, it got really interpreted as, like, this Trump-era game, and I guess it was, but it was written during the Obama years yes. in a state that voted Democrat. Like, yes. for a while, P Pennsylvania was on the bad list because it went uh, for Trump. Um, and um, Shout-outs to my for... home state of North Carolina for doing that as well. Yeah, but the, I mean, no, but... Um, <laughs> The sarcastic yeah but um and and the game um kind of got yeah it was like oh this is a game about trump it's important for understanding trump and it's like i guess but like it was about the obama era yeah and, like it was entirely written before that yeah and and it's and if it became like as soon as it came out like as soon as trump won the election i was like oh god everything we just wrote is going to be interpreted as our referendum on trump and it's like well no it's us talking about what we've seen and experience in people we've known and stuff we've seen in town sometimes like a lot of that game is pulled really directly from life i mean yeah. none of us are cartoon animals that can walk on telephone poles but you know it's um, the first lies told guys but the um but yeah like um so so that was kind of funny yeah is the, well it, um, you know it, it was a game about the thing. material conditions that that gave us trump and and those conditions mm -hmm. were largely created by both conservatives and liberals but more recently a series of failed neoliberal policies and so like right easy to interpret it that way because it's a game about how we got Trump. Not saying you wrote yeah, it that way, it, it, but the conditions that we're in. Right. And, like, it's in the same way that, like, today on this inauguration, like, on Twitter, I'll make some sort of crack about it. And people, you know, maybe people who are either younger or who are just more kind of, like, doctrinaire liberal are like, but we won. And it's like, you don't get it. Like, <laughs> no. this, this is a larger thing. This is not thing. what winning looks like, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> it's not what winning looks like. And it's not like we were, like, the first game to, like, have a bunch of politics. And obviously there's loads of games, particularly in the independent sector, that are yeah. wear their politics on their sleeves. And there's a lot more of them now, I feel like. And it's cool. Um, but we were kind of notable for that, I guess, um, at the time. Yeah, yeah. I, so. I don't know that I've played a game that did such a good job of having all of these political elements. But, like, it's also not just a game about politics. Like, it's a, it's a game about being a kid in your 20s, struggling with mental health, being with your friends, not knowing what your future holds. Like it's all of those things. And I think connecting like the personal conditions of life to the material conditions and political realities, like the reason it's a favorite game of mine because so rarely can you encompass all of those things well and connect them the way that like they are connected in all of our lives. Like we, we all exist in that state. Right. I, I think if there's a, if there's like a, a core pr theme of the game, like the core antagonist of mm -hmm. the game, aside from like characters or concept, it's the loss of like a, a central location or like a core to yourself. Yeah. Like as someone who's struggled with like various mental health things, like just mood disorders and the what I now know is like dissociative disorder, which I didn't mm -hmm. know what it was at the time when I was writing the game. And then afterwards, someone's like, oh, she's dealing with dissociation. I'm like, oh, shit, that's got a name. Oh, my Sweet. God. <laughs> Um, you wrote your own diagnosis. It's, yeah, learning, learning experience oh, and all man. that. So, like, so what May struggles with, what May, what May Greg and Angus struggle with are all things that I deal with yeah, and stuff. Yeah. And so it was that feeling of like depression and that sense of like, I feel like I've lost, like I feel like all the kind of like, all of the blood has been drained out of me and like everything is great. It's like those depression commercial where it's like depression can leave you feeling gray. And it's mm. like a mom just staring languidly out the black and white window as her child is playing outside or something. And it's like, you can't even go play with your kid anymore. <laughs> but um, the, your dog wants to play fetch, but you're too fucking depressed. <laughs> but um, 
and uh and so it's that kind of feeling of like losing your kind of core and your center and then there's also that feeling when it, of losing your faith feels like that yeah. a lot of the like oh this thing that i centered and ordered myself and my life around um that's not there anymore and then also the feeling of being a town that was founded around an industry that has pulled out since yeah. and it's like all of these things are about losing this feeling of this this kind of core this isolating feeling of oh, I've lost the th this organizational structure and meaning and everything. And that's the thing that ties all of those three things together in the yeah. game, the kind of mental health issues and then the, the, the various characters dealing with questions about God and then the town itself dealing with capitalism and what people end up doing with that need is a large part of what happens in the game. Yeah, yeah. and, and yes. as you said, you know, we live under this desperation and it is capable of pushing us in different directions. And right, this game yeah. goes in some directions. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing. It's like, it, and that was kind of, a, a, I feel like any anyone who ever misunderstood the game, I think it was because of that sort of knee-jerk liberal thing of the oh so you're all just saying that they just have economic anxiety and that's and and therefore it's fine and then we should feel bad for them or that kind mm -hmm. of very glib liberal reading of when you talk about capitalism is they they just think what you mean is oh they don't have enough money and are sad about it or yeah, something yeah, yeah. and you're like that's not quite the whole of it i guess that's part of it but that's some of them are also rich so not even that yeah, so, yeah no it's, there's it's, a lot going into that but man liberals love poor shaming uh almost as much as conservatives do like they're, right. they're not above it at all well you, you gotta believe in that meritocracy yeah like, you gotta yeah. so it's like if you believe in meritocracy there will be deserving poor mm -hmm. like you you cannot have a meritocracy without people who do not have merit <laughs> yeah, and I think especially yeah. in this moment, the the merit becomes belief systems rather than you know what conservatives do, which oh, work hard, bootstraps, blah blah blah. For liberals, it mm -hmm. now becomes like, well, if you don't believe all of these things, then it makes sense that you're poor. And to be fair, lots of people believe terrible things. This is again not a justification, Absolutely. like at yeah. all, but just saying like, hey, this is a this is a bad way of encountering this thing. You fucking ass. Right. Yeah, I, I feel like there are times when I've had to kind of explain to people because. As someone who's talked about this a little bit in the past, um, but but kind of a occasionally got tagged as someone who was like a a workerist in the way that I'm like, well, anyone who is working class, no matter what they believe, it's good or something. And mm -hmm. you're like, no, that's absolutely bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, the yeah. Uh, but it, but it's like no, it's not that like people who are like working class are automatically the arbiters of every good opinion or taste or anything obviously there's loads of reactionary idiots in the working class and there's loads of really <laughs> shitty people obviously the issue is their relationship to production yes. <laughs> like it's like it has nothing to do with they've earned their spot in it or something it's this literally about relationship to production all that other stuff is part of it or is part of how we interact with them but you can be working class and be a really sweet person or be an absolute monster it doesn't the morality of you as a person and your personal belief system does not make you working class or not. Totally, totally. Um, it's a it's a relationship to capital, and that's hard to explain to people because that, you, as we talked about before, has been not a popular concept in the U.S. No, as no, far as for sure. What we're kind of taught, and, and uh, the idea that you would want to improve the material conditions of assholes too, uh, mm -hmm. is something that I think people that have you know 
under, we're all brainwashed from a very young age. These are these can be right. challenging concepts to encounter. Absolutely. We're all operating from a huge poverty of actual knowledge about labor conditions and issues, uh, particularly in this country. Let's talk about how you solved capitalism by yeah, creating a worker co-op. Right. It's it's all solved now because one team can make video games Hell in yeah. a way that feels slightly... Yeah, so... It's cool that you toppled the Assassin's Creed franchise single-handedly, too. That was right. I, I, I did it. Nailed um, it. I know people who work at Ubisoft. They're all nice <laughs> people. Anyway, um, well, Ubisoft is one of those companies where like a zillion people work oh, at. Oh, it's an octopus. So like, it's, it's... Yeah, you're, you're going to know someone. If you're in video games and you know anyone in video games, you're going to know someone who works there. You're going to know someone who works at Riot, mm-hmm. um, a few other places that employ, like, just scads of people. Oh, like, yeah. um, I, you know, when we were talking about game unionization, which I've been pretty vocal about supporting and helping out where I can, um, I gave a talk where I did an interview on a, a, on a, a kind of a live episode of a podcast back when you could be in a room with people. And in... Don't, don't recall that. <laughs> don't recall yeah, that I know. being a thing. And I was talking about labor stuff within games and this is right around the time that red dead redemption came out red dead yeah. redemption 2 and there, there was some notable labor issues particularly with the qa department in that and i remember talking about it and everything and afterwards this guy came up and gave me a rockstar sticker and he he's like he's like yeah he's like i'm a qa people people are like listening mm, and stuff yeah and all that and um we're starting to see a lot of that kind of rumbling in the games industry and it's cool but like after it is very cool yeah after night in the woods came out uh it was in probably a success, which we did not expect. I certainly didn't expect. Um, I was literally working on, like, uh, I got to update my portfolio and resume, like, tonight, like, the night the game came out. Because I'm like, no one's going to buy this. I'm going to need to pay rent next month. And there's going to be no money coming in. I have to go out and get another job now, or yeah. basically. Yeah. And the people at my publisher was like, Scott, you, you just shut up. And just, <laughs> like, like, people are going to buy the game enough for you to not have to go out and get a job right now. And yeah. I'm like, oh, and stuff. Um and so, it's, but it ended up doing pretty okay. And um, so we're in a position where it's like, well, this is the only thing we've ever done that made any money. It would be really in, it would be really irresponsible to stop making video games mm-hmm. because this is like, you know, we actually now have a track record in this. We should keep doing it. And so we could put together a team and we just got really angsty about it for lack of better words. Cause we were like, ew, we're going to have to be someone's boss for lack of better words. Yeah. Like, I don't know like how else to put it. It just felt wrong. I mean, so bosses are wrong. Really, so, right. It started, it just felt instinctively wrong. And we didn't really have a great theory on that yet. It just felt wrong. Yeah. Um, and it didn't feel like it meshed with our ideas. And around the time I was hanging out with a bunch of people who were in IWW and I was like, and they were like, yeah, well it's because you'd be like a boss. And I'm like, Oh yeah, fuck you're right. It is just, I don't want to be a boss because I've had a lot of shitty bosses and I write stuff about how bad this whole thing is. I don't know why I would want to replicate that. Mm-hmm. And they were like, yeah, I mean, if you got to do this, you should just at least be a worker co-op. And I was like, Oh fuck. I didn't even know that was an option uh, and stuff. Cause we live in the U S who knows what a worker co-op is. <sighs> I love it. Um, I love it. It took a year of searching. Like, have you played Dark Souls? Yeah. Yeah, you know how in Dark Souls you're, like, piecing together, like, the history of the world through, like, item descriptions? Mm-hmm. It was that. That was that was what was figuring out what a worker co-op was and how to put one together. Yeah, you, had to, you had to find the secret boss behind the invisible ball and get their soul item so that you could figure yeah. it out. Yeah. yeah, you had to go join the, the Dragon Covenant yes. at the bottom of the tree or something. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, that kind of thing in order to get the lore that made sense mm-hmm. of that. And then you had to go to a YouTube video where they put it all together. But um, yeah, so we started looking at it and we're like, oh, sweet. This is like, 
And it actually helped me understand and sharpen my own critique of capitalism. Yeah. Which I, yeah. I, I, I don't think, like, I think you can be an anti-capitalist and a leftist for a long time and not have a great way of explaining why it is. And you don't necessarily need a great way of explaining why it is. Like, I think everyone should 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 get as, as get up on as, as much, you know, jargon and theory as they want to, that as it's helpful to them, which yeah. can often be very helpful. But the... Though you can you can hop on to, to anti capitalism because you're like it's, it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, yeah, because my life feels... fucking sucks. Or even if my life doesn't, lots of other people I know or can see do. Like, yeah, it, it just there's something wrong with it. And a lot of I think what we do, good or bad in life, um, uh, comes down a lot to the fact that a lot of us understand that this is bad. That there's something wrong. And we can't put our finger on it because we haven't. We don't have the words for it or the permission feeling to think that it's bad, yeah, or that there's something wrong. We are actually it. describing now the communism-shaped hole. Yeah, we are. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm here. It, no, it, but it's true. We live under these things, and before we even have words, like there is this moment of just like, why does everything fucking suck? Like, yeah, why is it? Why is it bad? Yeah. Why is it bad in these really particular contours? Yes, and. Um, I feel like understanding, oh, okay, so the way that a, a capitalist workplace works is there is someone who owns the company. It is their company. They decide what happens with it within the limits of the law and often yeah. way without <laughs> yes. it, way outside of it, <laughs> as the law grows and changes to uh, to to placate them and to a aid them or whatever. Biggest and, form of theft um, is wage theft, guys. Yeah, oh, yeah, 100%, obviously. Totally. And so the... Um, and it was like, okay, yeah, there's someone at the top of this, and they own the whole thing. It's their company, and they probably own, if you're, like, working at Popeye's, they own, like, the company or the franchisee or mm -hmm. something uh, owns the, 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 the thing that keeps the biscuits warm and <laughs> the chicken strip frying machine and all this and the delicious spices. That's the their grease, goddammit. Yeah, they own all this, and you go there, and all that you can bring to it is your ability to show up and work all this stuff, to put these ingredients and these things together. I understood this through the fast food metaphor, and um, the uh, and you know they, they own all this stuff, and you 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 show up, and and then when you leave, that stuff all stays there. You don't take that with you. You don't own that stuff. You you can't tonight go home and just make a bunch of Popeye stuff and sell it on your own or anything you have to go to the Popeye's place in order to make the Popeye stuff and sell the Popeye's things and you get paid so much less than you are making for everyone and that extra surplus value stuff uh, is what uh, makes people rich and makes capitalists money by doing nothing yes essentially and we have an entire society structured around that that basically it was like oh okay cool I understand why i hate everything now mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> one of those kind of things and you're like then you connect that with white supremacy and you're like all oh, right so people have like houses which are like the only nest egg and like appreciating thing they possibly have and we have this white supremacist culture that started around the idea of having to justify using people as capital mm -hmm. essentially mm -hmm. uh and stuff and so we, we had to do that 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 got out of its fucking cage and uh the concept and uh now informs basically all of our culture too including things like housing values and so you end up with people who may not even be ideologically reactionary themselves becoming hella racist as soon as a black family moves in and it's like oh all this stuff starts making sense now mm -hmm. like and the, the ways that systems don't even require individuals to be racist because the systems themselves are entirely capable of continuing the process of systemic of racism without 
anyone even having to be an asshole. There's lots of assholes, but you can be a nice guy and still very complicit in all of these systems. Yeah, and this is the critique of policing yeah. as well. It's like the, yeah, like there are some really nice cops out there, I'm sure, trying to do their best, but it doesn't matter. No. Because when the order goes out, they're still going to fire their tear gas at whoever, mm -hmm. or they're going to be trained and keyed up so much uh, in a system that incentivizes them to pull over lots and lots of marginalized people and also in a society that, that absolutely pathologizes black men Yep. as these like you know rampaging monsters and stuff and then also has policing be essentially an occupying force and view themselves as constantly on the defensive from their communities and to be there to be the front line of like capital essentially and it's like yeah so feed a nice person into that they're either going to quit or they're going to have to uphold this yep. like there's kind of you don't you don't have to be an asshole to be a bastard yeah, absolutely not. And um, so, like, that was kind of, like, a lot of the thing is the, oh, so someone profits off of all this white supremacy, yeah, huh? Yeah, yeah, All right. This makes total sense now. And so, like, as we're going through this kind of thing, like, um, understanding the co-op structure is, like I said, helped me sharpen my own understanding of capitalism and why who owns things and how they're produced actually really does matter a lot. Um the things that we're not really supposed to look at necessarily. Totally. Yeah. So co-ops are cool. And we were like, cool, let's start a co-op. And the, the uh, woman we were working with, Ren, we're like, hey, how about this? And she was like, yeah, that sounds great. Why aren't other businesses around this way? And I'm like, well, <laughs> I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's the obvious reason. But the other thing is I don't think most people know that this is a possibility that you can do this where you can have everyone co-owns this and we all make decisions. And we have kind of like a structure as to what decisions get made by who. And so it's not like everyone is constantly looking over each other's shoulder calling for a vote on every single thing or whatever. It's like, no, there's specific things that we do. Um, yeah. We learned a lot from like um, researching um, like construction co-ops because that's mm. like a, yeah. that's a, that, that's a, that's a, a group of people in a industry that requires a lot of diverse um, specialties. Mm -hmm. um, and so everyone kind of has to defer to each other all the time. Um, which is a lot like video game making. Like, no one does everything. They're kind of big, complicated machines yeah. a lot of the time. And so it's like, yeah, I can't walk up to uh, our coder and be like, oh, yeah, I want to vote on this thing you're doing because I don't know what the fuck's going <laughs> on or something. In the same way that she doesn't necessarily come to me and, and you know, want to see everything that I'm writing and sure. vote on every every line or something. And so, like, we had to kind of learn that. And, like, but it's all that information is out there and it's interesting. And there are other game co-ops. Um, there, there were a few before us. There's a lot more that have been starting since, um, which is really neat. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, it's been really exciting to see, especially, you know, obviously mostly in the indie scene right now, but mm -hmm. it's been really beautiful to see so many, like, small groups that also just take ownership of that process. And Right. Um, um, you know, I remember, I know Dead Cells, you know, they've sort of split off in a couple different ways now, but it was just so right. powerful, you know, when it happened, when the news articles hit, they're like, oh, like, yeah, like, these people made a game this way. Yeah, Motion Twin, yeah. Um, and a bunch of them are still doing the co-op totally. thing um, and all that. And they had their own reasons for splitting up, and that's its own thing. But then there's there's co-op up in Montreal. They're literally just called co-op. Um, they're really cool. They're making a game called Goodbye. Oh, my God. I'm sorry, co-op. I've totally forgotten <laughs> what one of the words in your name was. Uh, goodbye, um, Volcano High. Goodbye, Volcano High. Oh, God. I talk to these people all the time, and they're good <laughs> friends, and I totally 
fucking forgot the name. They of the and Himes. Kevin Max are going to be very upset with you. Yeah, sorry, K Max. Yeah. Um, but um, he's joined co-op. But yeah, they <laughs> they they run it cooperatively. Um, Pixel Pushers, um, uh, uh, they're in Austin. They made a game called Tonight We Riot, which oh, is like yeah, literally yeah. a mm-hmm. a an actual antifa. Now that now that that <laughs> word just means crazy shit yeah. it's an actual like game about like black block and just going up against killer cops and throwing bricks at their heads and stuff we found them guys we found them turns out they were making games this whole time <laughs> yeah that whole antifa antifa i always called it uh antifa now i want to call it antifa because everyone calls it that it's like i've known a lot of people and have been involved in a lot yeah. of like anti-fascist stuff and it totally exists it's like a total thing but now I feel like everyone feels they need to say it's either everywhere or nowhere. And it's like, as opposed to, it's like, no, it's kind of like smaller groups of people yeah, who are doing... doing some stuff, usually in reaction. Uh, my, I had a family member recently in the past week or so uh, tell me that I was a terrorist because of my oh, nice. possible affiliation with certain actions. Who's to say? Uh, but yeah, yeah. No, it, was, it was very funny to, to get the, uh, the terrorist brand. Um, you call yourself a Christian and yet a terrorist. <laughs> I, you know, they go to historically speaking, and in our present moment, they go together a lot better than some people. Yeah, think. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Do you know Jesus was the first terrorist? <laughs> hey, kids, he's here to blow up your heart. It's true. Yeah, he's he's here to do a, a coordinated strike on sin. <laughs> but um, yeah, he's here to break the windows of your heart. Hope. <laughs> 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 burn down the target of my heart lord um but you gotta you gotta strum all burn down the target of my heart um god antifa like work like worship choruses would be really really funny it's just it's just speed metal it's fine i can burn down your target forever um but this is good. That's this that's good that's shit. that is the shitty Christians heaven. Just so we're clear, people people who stay tuned this late into the podcast got that. It's good stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, so that's what we started the co-op. It's called Glory Society. Um, it's um, I used to just call it Glory. Uh, nice, but you rad. can't you can't just call something Glory because every like you can't like you're gonna be like trademark violation city. <laughs> so like you got to add something to it. Um, but. Uh, uh, so yeah, so we're working on a game which we have not announced yet, but it's cool. Yeah, if you like Night in the Woods, you'll probably like it. Rad, uh, probably. Yeah. It's got a, a decent number of the same people, Bethany and I, who, who worked on it. But yeah, um, so we do that, and it's cool. Like I don't know, like um, we've only been a co-op for a couple years, so I'm sure there's lots of challenges we haven't hit yet. Yeah. So like, and you had um, a lot of prior experience with a lot of these people, and you know. Yeah, at least with some of them. And I, I'd had a lot of experience doing kind of non-hierarchical projects, yeah, I guess, in yeah. the past. Either being in bands or even Night in the Woods, the game we made, like the guy we made it with, like we were, like we had to make decisions collectively. Like no one was the boss there. Sure. So like we definitely, like I was used to group projects that had to make decisions by consensus. So it wasn't, and a lot of it is just culture. Like you kind of have to find people who were chill, <laughs> for lack of better words, to work with. I think sometimes people hear like, co-op or non-hierarchical and they get really nervous because it, it's so unknown it's so like oh right. i don't know how that's gonna work uh and uh-huh. the reality is like people do this shit all the time and and but yes it does help if you have people that are working towards a common purpose of trying to make a thing work right but you have to you need that in a regular business anyway totally. like if you have someone who's trying to fucking sabotage <laughs> the shit constantly they're also just gonna get fired yep. but like the I, I think part of the thing 
is with co-ops is that people think that the capitalist model of business is there because of like human nature mm, but this yeah. is this is the natural way and so by doing the co-op you're doing something that's unnatural and it's like well it's like popeyes doesn't operate this like this because the people cannot be trusted to own the means of popeyes like they just can't you know whatever it's like you know we would not get the delicious chicken tenders <laughs> or something and uh but it's like no it is that way because of profit and capital like it, it is that way for a reason it's the same way that white white supremacy is for a reason like it doesn't it didn't just start arbitrarily due to human nature it yeah it's like it like someone profits from this no, uh, the, uh, you know. the ideological global project of trying to make something as crazy as late stage capitalism seem normal and human and just like oh yeah this is just how people be yeah yeah like it's it's the ted talk ization of things of the like like, did you know that, like, anything that has ever happened in history was actually entrepreneurs and capitalism <laughs> in it some was sort of fashion? The, the original Roman emperor, Elon Musk. Uh, yeah, that, that kind of thing. I remember there was some sort of TED Talk where the guy was like, don't think of capitalism as an ideology or an, think of it as an operating system. Like Windows mm. or Linux or whatever or iOS. And it was like the most... It was like, wow, you've somehow boiled down the obfuscation of capital to being this law of the universe, <laughs> this kind of like, as opposed to an economic system that actually has like direct benefits and violence and all this stuff in, involved in it, like that are well documented. But like, you, you got to essentially, I mean, that's as mystical as anything oh, I've yeah. ever no. heard in church. That is, like, that is just fundamentalism. Yeah, it absolutely is. And so like... Um, to 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 wrap this all up with Q, like I think like when I see the people involved in Q, yeah, it's it is funny, and there's a lot of really ridiculous, uh, bizarre shit in there, and yeah, I'm like, I, I I come from enough of that culture that I'm allowed to laugh, but the and everyone actually is allowed to laugh yeah, because yeah, it's white yeah. supremacist, fascist bullshit, but um, but I look at that and I'm like, yeah, this is one way of making sense of this, I guess, mm -hmm. like. The people who are into that are going to be into something else soon, probably. If if they don't get out of if they get out of queue, they're probably going to be into something else. Um, you know, they were probably into something else before a lot of the times, like because, you know, this doesn't it doesn't why everything is this way and why you feel terror constantly, and why you feel horrible hate and resentment. That doesn't feel like it should be that way. Yeah. <laughs> probably and you want an explanation for it you want something that will make you or someone else the hero of this that you can get behind and it can make sense and this drama can get kind of worked out and like when i see the way that people have a trust that capitalism is like the only way that you could ever produce anything it's that kind of thing it's like well we've got to explain why it's the only thing mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. <laughs> like it can't just be why it is for the obvious reasons it would be it yeah. has to be for some mystical human nature thing so uh, and uh, you know to to connect that back to uh the shitty christians i i think the evangelical project and calvinism in particular have a lot to do with that uh you know mm. this idea that like we are all just so depraved that we must rely on these systems because you know our hearts are evil they're inclined towards violence the only thing that mm -hmm. we will do unless we buy into this ideology is hurt and harm and uh i think that that it is a fertile ground from which the idea of capitalism can can uh, reify itself with an ideological purity to say like no that that is why things must be this way is because humans yeah, on their absolutely. own would never organize collectively 
Um, right. Like, I, I get that comment all the time. So it's like, well, capital, communism never works because of human nature. And you're like, well, ideally, you have systems set up so that human nature is 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 not the, the thing that guides you constantly anyway. Yeah, it's like, exactly. Um, one of the reasons we did a co-op is because so many shitty, bad, exploitative things happen in businesses on handshakes, yep. essentially. It's like, we don't, well, we don't need a contract, whatever. We're cool. I trust you and everything. And then that goes really wrong or really bad or is just part of like the everyday grinding exploitation of capitalism. And so our thing with like the cop is like, yeah, all of our shit's like in, like we have an operating agreement and contracts and yeah. stuff. It, we are not just depending on handshakes. Hopefully we're always all friends forever, etc. But if we're not, we can still work. We don't have to like each other to, to do this necessarily. We have to be able to work together, but you have to do that in any workplace. You have to do that at the Popeyes too. Sure. Um, and stuff like if you're just absolutely making it sure it doesn't work yeah no one can work with you but if you're dedicated to actually making the chicken tenders with people in a peaceable manner which most people are then you could make a co-op work um yeah the idea that this requires some something that does isn't already part of how anything works um yeah rather than just being a more equitable organization it's so weird. It's that the Ursula Le Guin quote about how, like, at one point the divine right of kings seemed like eternal, and uh, and stuff. And so, so the same with like capitalism. Now, I, that's I'm paraphrasing her badly. She said it much more beautifully. But like the um, that thing of like, yeah, capitalism seems like it's forever. But at one point, so did divine right of kings. And divine right of kings, like that kind of um, whatever the Latin version of that is, like the idea was that people are simply too depraved and chaotic and ignorant and stuff. And so God has ordained this particular operating system uh, <laughs> to, to essentially sanctify, you know, the kind of crooked timbers. Uh, that's, that's a great mixed metaphor. Sanctify I love that. timbers. I love it. Uh, yeah. sancti- sanctify Something like, about know, a plank of, and an eye. Let's keep going. <laughs> there's a plank. There's the band plank eye from the nineties. Um, oh, yep. Yep. I, I think, yeah. I think I owned one of their albums. I probably had them on a sampler or something. Yeah, with like the tooth Steve's and nail sampler. Yeah. yeah, yeah, or something. Do you still listen to any? Well, no, no yeah. Sorry, I, I keep forgetting. You're still a Christian. Do you still listen to any of those bands? Uh, not a lot from my tooth and nail era. I mean, I I'll still fuck right. with like Thrice. Oh yeah, Thrice is decent. Thrice is yeah. decent. I, I appreciate the way those guys have like continued to grow. I think a lot of those bands end up getting stuck in a moment. Right. There's very little like. There's some Christian bands that stuck with me. I still listen to Me Without You a bunch. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, Nine Stories or Ten Stories or whatever that album is. This is one of my favorites. Um, and uh, actually, the last track on that album, All Circles, is kind of like my like unofficial like end of year. like. Funny saying solstice makes it sound like you're a wicked, but I mean more <laughs> like in the, in the sense of like feeling some sort of connection to the universe. Suddenly like, all these being... stars and night in the woods make sense. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but like, um, but like that that kind of those kind of like meteorological like like you know yeah. astrological things are meaningful to me just because they're big things that you're that we are aware of being a part of kind of thing as opposed to feeling like they have any sort of mystical significance. But that "Me Without You" song, the last song off of that album, "All Circles," is always is like my like unofficial like holiday song for that era just because it has that 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 vibe to it that that, like i was saying that kind of godless ecstatic feeling is there uh, in that but um they're still pretty good um i think they're like the only one of those like christian bands i still listen to other than i guess the new five iron frenzy yeah i was gonna say uh, you're forgetting you're forgetting the bay you're uh your bestie (laughs) 
Scott, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can people find you on the internet? Um, I'm at Bombsfall on Twitter, all one word. It sounds way more hardcore than it actually is. Um, the um, I definitely made that name during like my Christian hardcore. Phase. Nice, love or, it, though, love or it. something. It was like me listening to like early Zayo. Although we're Blood and Fire Bring Rest, it's still kind of a banger. Yeah. So yeah, I'm at Bombsfall. Um, you can just Google the Glory Society uh, if you want to follow us. We'll have some stuff to announce sometime soon. Nice. And uh, I helped make a game called Night in the Woods. And you can just go Google Night in the Woods and play it yeah. on Steam or on PC. On P- it's on it's not on everything. It, it is it is actually on everything. I think I own it, it on several different platforms. So oh nice thank thank you you have you fed my cat so nice I it. Uh, and shout outs to my younger sister who I was like hey I'm having this video game guy on the podcast and she was like oh what did he make and I told her and she is. In, to my knowledge, never played a video game in adulthood and went and picked it up and like sent me videos of her learning how to jump and uh, got really got really into it. She was she's really been oh, enjoying that's it. Rad. Yeah. Oh, let's well, tell your sister I said thanks. I'm glad that she's she's enjoying it. I will absolutely do that. She's been sending me little like let's play updates on Messenger as she goes through it. It's oh, really that's great. it's really it's been really fun. That, that makes me happy. So yeah, the the only currently endorsed shitty Christians game, Night in the Woods, go check it out. Jesus Simulator is, I think, coming out sometime this year. I don't know if you've seen mm-hmm. that, so that'll obviously be the second. I, I have seen that. Yeah, you should go check out a game called Battle of Angels on Steam. Oh, God. <laughs> um, I'm not going to tell you any more than that. Just go. Okay. You can thank me later. Okay. It costs, like, not very much money. You should go play it. <laughs> All so, right. There you go. If you, if you want to really understand the Lord, that's the one to check out i the only way that i learn things is through tower defense that's where i'm all my theology <laughs> okay, comes good. from so yeah you, you have a lot of thoughts on plants and zombies <laughs> yeah, at this point exactly <laughs> my name is michael Tabor. you can find me at michael Tabor on twitter follow zach at, at zachary underscore allard or the pod at shitty underscore pod thank you guys so much for listening if i can ask you to do two things this week it's dismantle capitalism from the ground up and rate and review us on itunes <laughs>
Yeah, sorry. Sorry, it dropped, oh. so I was just getting the backups back up, but I wasn't expecting the robot voice to... Uh... That's awesome. <laughs> was, that, was that the Lord? Um... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're, you're on... You're on uh, the Lord's going to know what you said now, buddy, so... He's a, he, like, he's, he's a giant robot. Um, <laughs> the Discord the, bot. <laughs> the JRPGs are correct. 